following podcast is scheduled for one fall. Hailing from the Pro Wrestling Tees headquarters in Chicago, Illinois, they are your hosts of the PWT cast, Scrub and Stank! Bang, bang, what is up, you guys? Welcome to episode 49 of the PWT cast. My name is Scrump. This is Stank. And we're your hosts of the PWT cast. Stank, how are you doing on this fucking blazing hot Sunday? I think, I think my skin is just fully tanned leather by now because I've been up since like seven o'clock at a softball tournament for my daughter, and we've just been baking in the sun. I mean, I got a crispy, crunchy crust all the way around me, and it doesn't feel great. I'll put it that way. Yeah, for those of you who don't live in Chicago, it is it's in nineties, I believe. But yeah. it was ninety three when I when I got into into the recording studio and yeah it's been pretty fucking hot all weekend i didn't do anything yesterday for the fourth uh never been a big fourth of july person and didn't feel much like celebrating the you know the meaning behind the fourth of july especially Especially with with the current affairs yeah yeah it was one of those things where it's like hey read the room you guys um but yeah yesterday instead of uh celebrating anything for fourth of july i (laughs) I guess I'll get right to it. Uh, I purged all my Funko Pops. Um, oh, and how did it? Well, it first off, for those of you unaware, because uh, you know not everyone's been listening to, not everyone is Sean Barkin who's been listening since episode one. Uh, I have a massive Funko Pop collection. I've talked about it before on various episodes, and when I and I know what some of you guys are saying. Oh, I also have a big Funko Pop collection. Oh no. No, no, no. I had what is clinically referred to as an obsession. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, what I used to tell people was I have at least two, no more than 300. Well, last night, and I'd been saying this for a while because it was earlier in the week that it came back. The itch came back and it was it started to creep up a few months back when they released uh Full Metal Alchemist Funko Pops. I'm a huge Full Metal yeah. Alchemist nerd and they released some and friend of the show, Hot Topic Joe, was the fucking sweetheart that he is. That man sent me uh the Hot Topic Funko Pops that they had of Full Metal Alchemist, including the Chase. And I was like, Oh man. Oh and then recently uh, stupid Michael unwillingly, uh, unknowingly for my birthday gifted me uh, glow in the dark Iron Man, you know, when he's snapping his finger in Endgame. Mark, also a friend of the show, he gifted me a black light Doctor Strange. And I think that's what uh, did it for me because later on in the day, uh, M- Michael and Monica posted that they had all the this current wave of Yu Gi Oh! Funko Pops. And then again, anyone who knows me, I love Yu Gi Oh! So, uh, which, which speaking of Yu-Gi-Oh, I'll, hold on, I'll, get, I'll get to that. Um, so I go into M3 Toys, you know, where Michael and Monica's shop, and she, I was like, hey, Michael said I could pick up the, the Yu-Gi-Oh commons that you have? And she's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Go ahead, grab whichever ones you want. I'm like, okay. And she's like, oh, hey, check out these. Do you want these too? And she shows me the rest of those Black Light Funko Pops. And I'm like, well, I guess I can get those too. And then, you know, we're talking, and I'm like, oh, you, yeah, I already have the Blacklight Doctor Strange. She's like, oh, Doctor Strange? She goes, did you see this Venomized Doctor Strange? And I'm like, well, I guess I should probably get that, too. And before I knew it, I 
I walked out of there with an arm full of Funko Pops, and you know, I'm I'm into Funkos again. And then there were 400 Funko Pops. Well, so I and I kept telling myself, I'm like, if if you're going to start collecting Funko Pops, you got to purge all the ones that you don't want anymore, because. Right. What it was, was I would, you know, instead of saying, oh, these are my favorite Rick and Morty Funko Pops, or these are my favorite Stranger Thing Funko Pops, I would say, I want all the Rick and Morty Funko Pops. I want all the doc- the Stranger Thing Funko Pops. So I would just amass these giant collections. And I was like, you know what? In true Full Metal Alchemist form, I believe in the law of equivalent exchange. In order to gain something, you have to give up something of equal value. So I figured, let me purge the rest of these Funko Pops that I don't want, have no emotional, you know, connection to. And so I did that. And as I'm doing, as I'm making my keep and not keep pile, I started noticing I, I have a lot more Funko Pops than I thought I had. Uh, and it turns out I'd been lying to everyone this whole time because I did not, you know, I would say at least two, no more than three. I had 345 Funko Pops, uh, which I've now shrunk down to about 140. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep those. Those are the ones I'm keeping. Sorry, the 140, but the rest. Uh, I I'm like, I actually have a buyer who wants to buy the entire lot, so I'm currently waiting on them to see whether or not they're going to buy it. But I'm, I'm back in, baby. Just when I thought I was out, those goddamn Yu-Gi-Oh! Pops pulled me right back in. That's how I, that's how I am with Funko Pops. Is that um, at first I said I'm never collecting these. Like I was like these are so stupid, right? They're like little, they're like precious moments for dudes, and not just dudes. I mean everybody. But um, then like one Comic Con or uh, C two E two, I went and I saw they had uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. They had Low Pan. Or first I saw the Jack Burton one and I was like, oh, I wonder if they have low pan. And I looked and then I was like, oh, they have a low pan and a glow in the dark low pan. And I found both of them. I was like, all right, I'll get these. And I grabbed them. And then they had a Dr. Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then they had like a big Godzilla one. And I was like, oh, I got to get you Godzilla. And then that's how it started. And then eventually I was just running out of room. So like now I'll, I'll cherry pick the ones I want. Like I got all the Jordan ones because I'm a big Jordan mark. And then uh, anytime I see a cool Batman or Joker pop, I'll get those. But if I had my way, my wife, my wife's already had it up to here with all the stuff I collect. So <laughs> Funko Pops, I got to cut it short, you know? Yeah, same thing with me. And you know what? We uh, Several episodes back, we had Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins on, and they talked about uh, – their philosophy when it comes to toys and figures it's let them breathe you know take them out and display them in their full glory uh which is what i'm going to do you know i'm I'm gonna pull them out of their boxes and display them because again these are the ones i want to keep uh it's 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 mostly dr strange black panthers kevin smiths and iron men uh but nonetheless they're the ones that i want to keep and i want to display because i've been fixing up the office oh but very quickly i mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh pops were the what uh you know, the straw that broke the camel's back as far as I yeah. need to get back into collecting these. Uh, earlier in the week, I received uh, I received a belated birthday present. And boy, what a belated birthday present it was. Uh, Stank, why don't why don't you let them know what, what it was that I received? Oh, was, was it uh, the cameo? Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, uh, so for, for those of you guys that have been following, uh, Grump got me a cameo from, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Our, our favorite guest of all time, Effie. And, uh, it was a speech from the warriors, which by the way, he nailed. And, um, so I kept thinking, I was like, and I, w- I was a little late getting it to Effie, but like I, I was trying to find like speeches from Yu-Gi-Oh and like I asked my, my stepson who's, uh, you know, off in a college town right now. I was like, Hey, what, what, what's like an iconic Yu-Gi-Oh speech? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. And then like his friend was also a Yu-Gi-Oh nerd and we were all three trying to rack it up. And so, um, I sent off the speech, uh, to Effie and I literally, you, you can't put, there's only 250 words you can put in a request. So I said, I hope this is not crossing a line, but I'm going to email you a script. And I, I sent him a script with like little, I was like, use, use a deep voice here. And, uh, here's a YouTube video for reference. And, uh, he came through, it was a little late, but I was rushing him. So, you know, no big deal, but, uh, he nailed it. His voice was like spot on. Oh, he, it was perfect. Like he, he put some gusto in it. So. Oh yeah. It it was like, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, you sent me the cameo and I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Let's see what this is. Cause I, I knew what it was, you know, like when I, obviously yeah. when I see Effie, I'm like, all right, let's see. And then, you know, he starts doing it and he does, uh, it's Dan something, the guy who voices the character of Yu-Gi-Oh, Yugi, and pff, Effie gave Effie gave this man a run for his money because holy oh. shit did Effie knock it out of the park? He could, he could do anime voices. Oh boy, can he! I was just like, holy shit! I was like, this sounds fucking awesome, and yeah, it was it just it warmed my heart. You know, it combined two of my favorite things and Effie and Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, but. Uh, you know, while we're while we're sitting here shouting out Effie as yeah, like I, I think we can agree, you know, our favorite guests that we've had on. Um yeah. I wanna shout out a few more people. Uh this week we had our four our fourth of the fourth of July, Canada Day, Independence Day, whatever you wanna call it, sale. And uh we had several friends of the show purchase T shirts and you know, it's always it's always overwhelming for us whenever any of you guys, you know, take time out of your out of your day to to listen to our show. Or even purchase a t-shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash PWTCast. You know, we have these brand new stickers that that we got just in time for this sale. You know, our uh, our dope-ass kanji design, the, the PWTCast, it's it's holographic. As well as the uh, Who Listens to the PWTCast, you know, Watchmen parody. We have stickers of those as well. And so we're going to be throwing those and in, in you know, these wonderful people's packages, along with anyone who purchases, you know, a, a t-shirt from us, we have these stickers for that sole purpose. Uh, I, I got the question of like, Oh, are you going to sell them online? No, probably not. Uh, you know, maybe at a future time, but for right now, it's kind of just uh, a fun little thank you for anyone who purchases a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to give a shout out to a few friends of the show. We have Ryan Mears, you know, he's wonderful. You know, I, I miss seeing him at freelance shows. We used to see him yeah. all the time. Um, he's done. He's uh, he's actually been on the show before. He did a fan of the week, uh, fan or friend of the show, Joshua Davis, friend of the show, Clifford Frazier. Who listen? If you want to know how many episodes are left until uh, CEO of Pro Wrestling Tees, Ryan Barkin is on. Ask Clifford Frazier because that man he's counting down. He's waiting. Uh, we have Yvonne Martinez. 
Thank you, Yvonne, so much. Uh, oh, God. I was, I saw this guy's name popped up and I told him, you don't have to purchase a t-shirt. Like, we will, we got you on these stickers. Don't, don't worry about it. But sure enough, OG friend of the show, Jesse Kolenberg, who will be on the PWT cast. We got to, we got to figure that out, schedule it out with him. You know, Jesse went and bought another t-shirt. God bless you, Jesse. Um, Christopher DeMondo. Awesome. Uh, George Cruz, Benjamin uh, Ableton. Sorry, Benjamin, if that's not how your last name is uh, pronounced. Uh, But last and not least, which is funny because it just ties in with the theme of the show, uh, MJ from NJ, friend of the show. Uh, Thank you. Thank you to all you guys who uh, purchase our T-shirts. Anyone, you know, who wants to wear our logos on on your body, it's, it's always flattering. Yeah, every time I see a picture of someone wearing, uh, you know, we get tagged on Twitter all the time with people wearing our shirts or, you know, in the VIP group, hey, look what I got. And you, you always see like a PWT cast shirt in the in the weekly haul. Um, it's great. We appreciate any type of support we get from you guys. So there was earlier in the week. I don't think, you know, you weren't there. It was Monday because you weren't there. Uh, Julio, Matt Nix and Trevor Outlaw were all at the, sh- and myself included, we were all at the shop wearing PWT cast t-shirts. And I was just nice. like, fuck yeah. Uh, but speaking of, you know, PWT cast t-shirts, we, through, through the month of um, June, we ran, uh, we had, we put out two, two shirts or our pride shirts and, you know, David and I, we wanted to do something to give back to, you know, it was LGBTQ month here and well, not just here everywhere, but we wanted to do something to, to give back. And there's a specific place over here in Chicago. It's called the center, uh, over on Halstead. They do a lot for the LGBT community. It's, you know, it's right there in boys town, which is, you know, largest gay community here in the city. Uh, and you know, me and David said, Hey, whatever funds, you know, we're able to, to accumulate from the sales of that t-shirt, uh, those two t-shirts, um, we'll go ahead and fucking we'll match it, you know, yeah. we'll all, well, both of us will match it. Ooh, also, uh, Val Capone, Val Capone, Val Capone from the show. She purchased a t-shirt as well. I forgot her. Love you, Val. Um, yeah. but you know, we said whatever we get together from these pride shirts, we'll, we'll match it and you know, we'll donate it. Uh, so through the help of you guys and everyone who bought a t-shirt, we were able to raise 152 bucks. That's with Dave and I both matching it. So I'm going to get with the proper channels and, and donate that to them. And just thank you guys so much. You know, any dollar helps. And yeah, we love that our audience are people that would be willing to, you know, donate some of their money to such a wonderful cause. Yeah. PWT cast is for everyone. So I, and here's the thing. Um, we'll be keeping the shirt up. So if you want to show some pride all year round, we'll have the shirt up for you. So it's an awesome shirt. Uh, Matt Nix, Matt Nix actually printed the first one. He, you know, uh, he showed it. It was the one he bought. It was the one that he bought too. And yeah, yeah, the shirt looks great. You know, I, I love it. I've been, what I used to do before was about every six months I would, because working here, I would get rid of like older shirts that I don't wear anymore and just print a, you know, a new batch of shirts because there'd be so many new designs that I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I, I forgot to print this. I forgot to print that. <sighs> well, I've accumulated what like medical science would call too many shirts. Uh, <laughs> so since living here, since living in my new place, I have not washed a t-shirt and I 
have probably another four months worth of t-shirts. Like I've washed, you know, my, yeah, yeah. I've washed, you know, I've washed my bed sheets, my underwear, my socks, but I, I still probably have about another four months worth of t-shirts. Honestly, odds are I can finish out 2020 without having to wash another shirt. Like I, that's how many shirts that I have. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I listen. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say I could probably do that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I purged those pops. I might have to start purging some of these t-shirts. Um, and so, but really quick before we get to to this week's uh, interview, um, I wanted to plug uh, another friends of the show, sponsor of the show. Also, the show is brought to you by uh, Freelance Wrestling, the official sponsor of PWT Cast, uh, as well as M3 Toys. If you have a fungo addiction that uh, you want to just supplement, head over to M3 Toys. Use the promo code PWTCAST. You get a whole ass 10% off. That's on everything in stock and pre-order. Um, but Dave, you know you know what? why I'm so happy to talk about uh, our last sponsor of the show. Why don't you talk about this awesome milestone that these two wonderful boys uh, have, have done? So uh, for those of you that have followed us, you know that uh, we have a never-ending love for our boys, uh, Vinny, Moses, and Julio, and together they formed uh, this Kickstarter, which was kind of a continuation of something they did last year. So they did uh, this big pop-up show called The Horror House, and part of that was they had the Cryptic Closet comic book, which I know uh, you're on the back of with your face because you you bought the highest uh, tier uh, reward. Um, they went ahead and did another one, and they they kickstarted uh, the Cryptic Closet two, and they they smashed their goal in like four days. I mean, they reached their goal of six thousand dollars, where everyone that backed got a free set of bloody sunglasses, and then the next goal on top of that, which you know this is a lot of money, it was six thousand six hundred and sixty six dollars. Um, that if you pledge seventy five dollars or more, you get uh, the Cryptic Creeper doll, which is like. I think it's like a 12 inch plush doll of the mascot of the comic book. And like during this whole time, Vinny was really excited. He was keeping it a secret, but he showed me the prototype. I know you felt it too. It's like the softest plush doll. Oh, it's a wonderful plush doll. Oh, it's like, it's like uh microfiber. So it's like, it felt like suede, but, um, yeah, they smashed their goal of $6,666. Um, you can find them on, uh, Kickstarter. Uh, just look up the Cryptic Closet. I think they're under Gorilla Publishing, um, and they still have the rest of the, the month to uh, they have pledge. A, they have about two weeks left, and they are only about a hundred dollars short of seven thousand, which is incredible. Yeah. You know, they're two, yeah. they're almost two thousand dollars over their uh, their target. You know, pl- the what they wanted um, donated. So it's, it's awesome. Super proud for them, yeah. you know, super yeah, happy sure. as their friends. Um, we're going to bring them back on, you know, soon together. The The plan around the first time was bring them on together, but they're both such like cool personalities. You know, there's such interesting people that I was, that we were, we were kind of like, let's just have one Julio episode, one Vinny episode, and then eventually bring them yeah. in together because the, you know, they both have such, like they they have their own origin stories, so it's kind of fun to hear those. Um, but yeah, super proud of yeah. them. Uh, and before we get into this week's interview, really quickly, I wanted to plug. Uh, I actually did an interview with uh, WH Park. We talk a little bit about it um, in this week's episode, but 
he and I, we did, uh, I was legit. Like I, I get into it in this interview talking about how I, I felt like podcasting with, uh, John Pollock and waiting like, Oh, like, you know, I am not worthy. Uh, very early on, like WH Park was one of those guys, you know, like he's someone that I've been listening to for a while through, uh, live audio wrestling and now post wrestling. And he's really good at his craft. You know, he's super knowledgeable, especially when it comes to Japanese wrestling. So when he asked me to be on an episode, I was like, all right, yeah, sure. And then, you know, I'm like, I'll fucking do it. Cause I remember he did a Jushin Thunder Liger podcast and he asked me, he's like, hey, do you, you know, how much of Jushin Thunder Liger do you know? And embarrassingly, I was like, I know that he is Jushin Thunder Liger. And I have seen him wrestle once in a battle royale. And that's it. I think, actually, no, I think I've seen him team up with Cheeseburger once as well, like a Ring of Honor show. Uh, so he didn't ask me to be on that. And I was just like, oh, what an idiot. I should have said I knew more about Jushin Thunder Liger and just like looked up. But he asked me to be on episode one of uh, The Long and Winding Royal Road, which is uh, his look back at All Japan Pro Wrestling. And yeah, that episode, it was super fun recording it. Uh, that, that episode just came out yesterday. Um, so go check it out. You know, it's over at Post Wrestling. You know, we, we love those boys over at Post Wrestling. They've been so good to us. Um, so go over and, and listen to that. But um Without any further ado, Dave, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode with none other than friend of the show, W.H. Park. So one of the wonderful things that I've enjoyed through discovering like not only podcasting, but post-wrestling specifically has been the people that I've gotten to to meet, we, be it through the forum, uh, you know, Jesse from The Six, Brandon from New Jersey, uh neil our man neil or the people that actually podcast for um post wrestling you know i've i've met and interviewed john and way uh brayden harrington davy portman andrew thompson i'll get him soon but uh i'm pretty excited for uh this week's guest he's one half of post perez he's just started up the long and winding the long and winding royal road which I was flattered that I was asked to be the first official guest. There was an episode zero, but uh, I was asked to be number one, or episode number one, so I was pretty excited about that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, the man himself, W.H. Park. W.H., how you doing? Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. It's a nice, windy Saturday morning here in Japan. That is the one thing that I, I forget when me and Dave were... Uh, trying to figure out a time i kept forgetting that you're you're several hours ahead of us for us it is a nice yeah. cool it's a nice warm actually uh yeah, friday cool. night um but yeah that's that is one of the things that i like because even, even me and you were like oh what about this day? what about this thing you were like it's my my saturday your friday and i'm like wait what like at first i thought you were fucking with me but then i'm like oh no 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 i'm like i i do forget we are in different time zones time zones yeah uh, but wh we're, we're happy to have you i i guess the one thing and we don't have any sort of like script or way this show usually goes it's usually just dave and us you know talking about whatever but the one thing i've been curious about for the longest and i guess it doesn't really come up with post wrestling because um I mean, you've just been podcasting with them for so long. But what is your history with post wrestling? I mean, when I discovered post wrestling, I you were you were just someone who was already there, uh, and I believe you went to school with John and Way. So, how did you get started with 
uh, with post wrestling and you know I what used to be the law as well. Okay, so I I did not actually go to school with John Way because I am considerably older than those two actually. <laughs> so my history with post wrestling would be I suppose sometime in two thousand one two thousand and two I I met a sixteen year old John Pollock at a bar called O'Grady's and. You know, it's a bar. It's a licensed bar in Toronto. So we had to get special permissions. But and by we, I mean like, you know, um, Dan Lebransky and Jeff Merrick, who co-hosted the Law at the time, live audio wrestling. And you know, John would come in, and they said they'd have to talk to the manager of of O'Grady's and say, "Can we? Can this guy co- just sit here? He's not going to already drink. We'll make sure he doesn't drink anything because he's 16 at the time. He's definitely under the age." And that's how I first met John, and we just became kind of friends. Over the over a period of time, because I would bring in wrestling tapes, Japanese wrestling tapes to play after Raw had ended, and people would stay and watch those, and including John, and he would just come talk to me about, oh, that that match we watched between Masawa and Kawada was awesome, or Shinya Hashimoto and Masahiro Chono was really good, or whoever, right? And and through that, he got involved with the Law um, through that association. He went to he went to Ryers. I'm, I'm giving fucking John Pollock's biography here, <laughs> not my own, but but like throughout that time, he and I would would become friends and like we would go to wrestling shows together and um when i moved to japan uh in in 2011 like john contacted me this is when the law is still around and he said oh do you want to do be a correspondent at that time because i'd be actually living here in 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 the in japan itself and i said sure and then at first it was me and john doing a, a show and then uh, I met up with Chris Charlton, who people now know as one of the commentators for New Japan Pro Wrestling on New Japan World. Um, and then we did the podcast, and we we decided to call that Japanese Audio Wrestling. Not not the most creative name, but it stuck. Um, and then you know, like the law d- dissolved because of the Fight Network and the Anthem buy- buyout, whatever. And then uh, John calls me up. He's like, "Hey, um, hey, do you want to do a, a show?" for our new venture, me and me and Wei's new venture, post-wrestling. I'm like, what the hell is post-wrestling? Because I was completely out of the loop, and it had it wasn't until, like, John and then later Braden Harrington in person it explained to me the, the, the split and everything uh, that, okay, I see. And then I, I told John, because I had gone through, like, with Chris Charlton and then through my other co-host of the Japanese Auto Wrestling, um, Jojo Remy, I, I just kind of didn't want to do podcasting for a while, and then John just called me up, and I said... There's only one condition I want if I do a monthly show with, with, with uh, about Japanese wrestling, and that's I just want to do it with John because like I, I really miss podcasting with John. And I said, it, and there's nothing against Chris or JoJo. It's just like I just said, if it's with you, it's fine. I don't want to really have to deal with other co-hosts or anything like that. I think that speaks volume to how good of like a podcaster John is because I'll admit and I've talked about it. I might have been on the episode I recorded with you, but John and Way to me were up there. You know, they're up there as far as it comes to podcasting and like the fact that very early on, you know, into this endeavor, I think they're like episode four, maybe five, like they're very early on there. I got to podcast with them. I was so nervous. Like I, I remember having to redo my intro with them because I like I stuttered on a few words and I kind of just lost track of what I was saying. But like John and Way are both very they're very good at what they do and it is very intimidating kind of coming in, but it's also very comforting, like podcasting with them. I know a while back 
uh stank and i we got to podcast with way and it was one of those things where we we told them hey you know we're, we'll just if we could just bother you for 10 minutes of your time and if i'm not mistaken stank those 10 minutes turned into like yeah. almost 45 <laughs> um yeah but it, you know it speaks down to like they're really good whether it is that whether they're talking about wrestling or whether they're ta- i think we wound up talking about like legos for close to half an hour um but that's very awesome i i just i wasn't aware of exactly how it was that you started with them i i find it very funny that you would sneak in a young uh john pollock into bars because uh that's kind of the same story with me and uh colt cabana and marty Derosa, where they would throw together these comedy shows and i was 18 uh and here you know you have to be 21 to get into a bar so i would just like show up and they would be like oh yeah this is our kid or you know whatever excuse it was and they'd be like don't worry he's and i don't drink but they'd be like don't worry you know he's, he's not gonna drink any alcohol and so i would be like the very clearly obvious the youngest person there and i was just like i just want to be here for for wrestling and comedy um but it's I've actually i I've learned a lot of Japanese wrestling through your shows because uh, you yourself very informative. Like I, I told you when we recorded our episode, which just dropped yesterday over at Post Wrestling, um, I was familiar mostly with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, I knew other promotions existed, but with New Japan being the the bigger name to me, it was it's sort of similar. Like when I started watching WWE. Um, I or yeah, I knew what WWE was, and then kind of became aware of like, oh, there's all these other companies around it. Um, for you, which came first, Japanese wrestling or American wrestling? Oh, American wrestling, because like I started watching wrestling shortly after the first WrestleMania. I'm I'm really dating myself here, uh, but um, from there I started watching the the WWF, and like this is the, the the height of Hulkamania. But like I never liked Hulk Hogan even as a child. I was always drawn to people like Ricky Steamboat and Tito Santana and the Dynamite Kid. I was always early on really a work rate kind of a guy, and then throughout my my fandom of wrestling, like it it's pretty it was pretty much the WWF, and then later on we finally got like the NWA in the Jim Crockett days uh, on some fucking channel in in Toronto. Not in Toronto. Like, it, it was one of those channels I had to keep going up on the clicker. Like, oh, this channel 42 has got wrestling. That's not the WWF. Awesome. It's NWA. And then that becomes WCW. And then I expand into, like, watching, you know, finally start watching some ECW. But, you know, I'd, I'd say probably in, like, 96, 97, I started tape trading. And then I started you know, becoming familiar with like all these names like Jushin Liger, who was in WCW. And then through that, the great Muda, who's also in WCW. And then through that, I was like, oh, they wrestle in this place called New Japan Pro Wrestling. What's that? And then through that, I, I, I break off into, oh, what's this other company that Stan Hansen works for? It's called All Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, Dr. Dusty Williams works there. Oh, that's cool. Who are these guys? And then you know, just kind of explodes from there. Then I get into like, you know, later on Pro Wrestling Noah, Dragon Gate, you know, um, what other companies I like, Michinoku Pro, all these amazing like companies. And the thing that really struck me about wrestling in Japan was that it was more sports oriented rather than entertainment oriented. And what is that experience like as far as when you finally moved to Japan? Because like you mentioned, it is much more of like a sport uh, I mean, I, it's a little different for Dave and I, who you know we work here at Pro Wrestling T, so it's 
it's treated a little bit more seriously when people come to the shop and you know whether it's to shop or to look look around at the the various autographs or memorabilia that we have here but uh you've mentioned you know you mentioned right now it's taken much more seriously as like a legit sport over in there so what's it what's it like when you know when you finally move over there and you see that it's not just you and your group of friends who take this one niche little thing very seriously but that this whole country's just immersed itself in it um it's a big difference going to a show in japan than it is going to show in canada in toronto right so i'm used to like uh, you know, maybe half the fans in, in in a fucking building trying to get themselves over, right, at an ROH show or any other indie show. Like, in Japan, it's like most people there, like 99% of the people there are there to enjoy the show and not and to enhance the show, not to get themselves over, which I think is so refreshing. Uh, there's no stupid chanting. There's no stupid people trying to yell out stupid jokes when people are doing promos or anything like that. There's uh, little to no misogyny or racism. So that's refreshing as well, you know what I mean? So for me, the experience of watching wrestling live in Japan is far superior to watching wrestling live in in Toronto or upstate New York, which have been my two experiences in North America. Yeah, that's like my least favorite thing about uh, wrestling fans in America is just the constant chanting and like it's, it's like this ironic like parody of itself now, you know, and it's just um there, there is a difference. Like when, you, like when you watch a Japanese show, there's there's a reverence for what's going on. They're paying attention, um, and even like you know, the excitement from the announcers, you know, speaking in Japanese. But like you could tell that they're like uh, super into it, and it's not like this overly produced stuff. Um, but yeah, I, the the fan chanting stuff is like my least favorite thing about American wrestling. It, people talk about sorry people talk about like oh the japanese fans are quiet all the time or maybe they're not into it or something like that it's and usually it's like the american wrestlers or you know non-japanese wrestlers who complain yeah. about the quietness of, of japanese fans but here's the thing they're they're paying attention to what you're doing but if they're not giving you a reaction maybe it's not because of them maybe it's because of you maybe you're not yeah. a good wrestler that was the one thing that i wanted to bring up where i've often heard that you know that be the thing oh japanese crowds are a lot quieter and if i if i if i remember correctly the first time was uh it might have been in jericho's book where he talked about uh like their first tour over there in japan but after watching japan like my first my first japanese wrestling show was uh uh wrestle kingdom 11 the one with aj nakamura i'm not sure which one specifically that one is but the one that had aj versus nakamura like that was the first show that the first Japanese wrestling that I watched. And I remember like watching and I'm like, what, what is everyone talking about? Like these crowds are going insane for, for these wrestlers, you know? And then it was just like, Oh, okay. Like kind of like you mentioned, it is just some wrestlers that, you know, everyone just gives a, 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 a polite, you know, okay, thank you. But I think one of my favorite things is when you're watching, you know, like an Okada versus Tanahashi and you just hear, you know, from the back, Okada! Just like all it, that's just one of those things that I love because those, the crowds do get excited, but it is, it's just depending on it. I think that is one of the unfair things that they've kind of been painted with, with like, oh, they have really quiet and somber crowds. It's like, well, no, not really. It just depends who's in the ring. 
I've been in my more than my fair share of hot crowds for like wrestling matches, and yeah, the ones that people are just you know watching and not really make that much noise. They're not they're not exciting matches necessarily. You know, they're people are polite and they'll applaud for it, but they're not going to go crazy. It's it's when the match is hot. It's like you know, you know, I, what what was I there for? Like. I was there for Shibata's last match against Okada, where he did the headbutts that ended his career. Right, mm-hmm. that crowd was fucking hot. Like it was because it was an awesome match. Right, we don't know, we didn't know at the time like this is going to be the last match you'll ever see Shibata in for the foreseeable future. But it's a, it's just an awesome match, and I, I've been there for like tons of like triple crown matches in modern all japan i've been there for multiple wrestle kingdoms and and multiple new japan shows at cork and hall it's a great crowd i i don't know why people say oh they're so quiet or anything you, you've never either been in japan or you're or if you're a wrestler you, you'll get a response you're just a boring wrestler and it is one of the interesting things to being at like a live show and seeing what people respond to because like, i know dave and i uh more recently we went to uh was it Revolution, Dave, over at the over by where they do C two E two? Uh oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think the and there was there's fine there's a lot of you know, fine good matches on that card, but like the one person that got the biggest reaction was Orange Cassidy. You know? And it was more so just his ring presence. Not so much like you know, he was busting out his his wrestling moves. But it was just like his ring presence, and I've always found that a lot of Japanese wrestlers have like a, a certain ring presence to them. You know, I remember uh, being at the MSG show WrestleMania weekend, the the Ring of Honor New Japan card, and what a, one thing that I like to do is when I'm at like a, a bigger stadium show is look at the security guards don't know what the fuck is going on or you know or, or the ushers who are kind of just sitting there watching and i remember there was uh older african lady african-american lady and she's just like staring and i believe it was it was either naito yeah it was naito making his entrance and you know he's in the white suit and everything and she's just like staring at him and i'm like oh it looks pretty cool right and she's like definitely interesting and that's always like one of Again, it always brings me back to certain Japanese wrestlers, just the way they carry themselves. Like, I think the first Japanese wrestler I saw live was like Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I remember seeing him come out and I was just like, whoa, like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, And yeah, I just, to me, I think that's one of the more pleasant things about, because I don't, you know, we don't get to see Japanese wrestling as, as much as you do. Obviously, you living in Japan, but. Back when the Ring of Honor used to do those like War of the World, was it? Yeah, the War of the World shows. Um, that was one of my favorite things is seeing the Japanese wrestlers come in and just again they just command like a certain presence. I think a lot of that has to do with their training, right? So like the Japanese training system is the dojo system, and so these guys are taught the basics before anything else, and then later on they're taught character and and they're kind of just you know unlike the wb system or maybe even like other american promotions like AEW, like they hone their craft with people that they trained with with their trainers and they go out perform in front of crowds that are you know going to be the crowds that they're going to perform for 
for most of their career, if not the entirety of their career, right? So I think there's a comfort level where they can develop their characters and, and they get constant feedback from, not from agents, but from what we in Japanese call the senpai, which is their senior, right? So like Tanahashi is the senpai to someone like uh, Yuya Uemura, who's one of the young lions right now. Like, so, you know, Okada is a senpai to like, maybe uh, I, I forget who else, uh, who else is there. Like whoever the other young lions are, like they, they learn okay, watch these matches. And they all sit out there, like they're all seconds for the, the wrestlers, right? So they hold open the ropes. They take the ring robes back to the dressing room. But then they have to come back out and watch the matches. So they're getting the best seat in the house and they're getting their, like, education of how to become a professional wrestler, not only by working matches, but by watching the matches and seeing, wow, this this gets reaction. I'm going to incorporate that into my wrestling matches. This, this doesn't get a reaction. I'm not going to use that. And that's very, like... I remember seeing Hiromu. What was? Do you remember what his name was before he was Hiromu, or was he just always Hiromu? Because I remember he had a different gimmick, and he was in like Ring of Honor. And I, I, I you, uh, so you, you're talking about when he was Kamitani. I believe so. Yeah, because I remember he he was in Ring of Honor for a bit. And Dave, you might have been at that show with us, where it was one of like the War of the World show, and. You know, it was just like, okay, cool. Like, he, you know, he has interesting moves. He can obviously wrestle, but it almost felt like there was like something lacking. And then, and one of my favorite things is seeing wrestlers come back from excursion because once he came back from his excursion, he was, you know, the the time bomb Hiromu. I was just like, oh fuck! Like, it's just, it's so interesting that like, you know, he had this whole personality that just based on your training, it's like no you got to get good at, you know, the basics. You got to know how to, how to be a wrestler. And then, you know, oh, okay, you have this awesome personality. Well, that's going to be your character then. Um, who are some of the wrestlers that you, cause you've been following Japanese wrestling for a while that you've kind of seen, you know, who do you think has been the most successful coming in from as like a young lion to, you know, now they're this person, this character. Wow. Um, I'm going to say maybe, Top of my head is one is uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima, who wrestles for Pro Wrestling Noah. So he started off like when he was 16 years old as the protege of uh, Kensuke Sasaki, who's like a, a legend in Japanese wrestling. And, you know, he was like he had a, like a shooter gimmick. He did a lot of striking, especially with uh, using stiff kicks. Um, so like he was just yeah, like this teenager. And then he grew into adulthood and then he was he became GHC heavyweight champion which is the top title in, in pro wrestling noah but he wasn't a very charismatic champion like he was a great wrestler but didn't have any charisma then like over the last 3 years he grew out his hair he got a perm and he and he grew a goatee and then he developed this evil smile and then he just had all this charisma now and it's like it's a far cry if you look at Katsuhiko Jima now in his 30s and to like Katsuhiko Nakajima when he's like 16 and 18 there's a huge difference the other person I'm gonna say is Hiromi would be another good example from after coming back from excursion I'm trying to think um probably the Rapongi 3k guys probably a lot of the, the, the New Japan guys like are all pretty lucky to go off into excursion and then come back and have a personality and I always think they've had personality even when they're young lions it's just they're not allowed to show it you know that's not until they come back from excursion that they're allowed to show their their true personality they kind of like you know kind of submerged under their young lion characters yeah that's 
that's the one kind of fun thing. I mean, before so, it's kind of different now because you've got like you know with American wrestling more so with WWE, you have the NXT system where you know you have someone like a like a Kyle O'Reilly who he shows up in NXT and you instantly know who he is as opposed to 10 years ago, you know, he would have been down in developmental as you know Kyle whatever the fuck weird last name they would give him and maybe you knew who he was maybe something but I think the benefit with the young lion system is that like they're for the most part unknowns you know I don't I think maybe when like a juice Robinson like voluntarily wanted to be like a young lion that might have been you know one of those cases of like oh okay he is like a bigger name but to me, it's always one of those fun things. It's uh, it's either you or John who are just like, oh, you need to look out for this young lion. And then, you know, in two, three years time, it's like, oh, shit, Rabungi 3K is fucking, you know, they're really good. You know, you, you have guys like Sho and Yo who just, again, two years ago were just somebody that Minoru Suzuki was going to throw throw around, you know, on his way to the ring. Um, but another aside from wrestling uh you know another thing that we have in common is our love for the tv show Watchmen. um for those of you unaware last summer dave and i we hosted um what we called the pwt cast but really for the most part was uh the Watchmen podcast because yeah basically it was all dave and i talked about uh and like ironically enough that show kind of like because you and I, we we were friends, you know. We we'd already met uh, in Toronto. We we'd interacted. I I believe there was one time where I was with Davey and Braden. It might have been like WrestleMania weekend in New York, and they just FaceTimed you randomly at like three in the morning. Um, but one of the things that brought us together is like you, myself, uh, Neil, and Brandon from New Jersey, Mike Murray as well. We all just started discussing. Uh, the Watchmen, and like with everything going on right now in America, it's been very strange how a lot of these things have like seemingly have started to it. You know, it's, it's art, it's life imitating art. Where I don't know if you saw like the cops in Seattle, they're wearing the yellow face masks, uh, and just all these things. But um, with Watchmen, what, what's your history with that? Because I know Dave. Um, it might, it might have been off mic, but you were telling me how it was something like you and your brother kind of bonded over, and how you've bought you've bought the Watchmen for your brother umpteenth times now. Yeah, no, uh, definitely read a, read a, you know the graphic novel over and over again. Um, so like when you know the Watchmen movie came out, we were pretty excited, and you know a lot of people have different opinions on that movie, but I liked it, and then was super excited about the show and maybe like the prospect of like a, you know, like a recurring series happening. Um, but yeah, me and my brother both love Watchmen. It's very near and dear to our hearts. What about you, WH? What's, uh, what's your history with, with Watchmen? So actually I'm a big comic book fan. So like my, my love of comics predates my love of professional wrestling by about maybe, I don't know, like five years. So I, I, wa- I read the Watchmen comic by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons when it first came out. I was like, at the time, I'm a teenager. I'm like, what the fuck is this? What? Why? Why is it so dark? And why are people killing each other? And who's this Rorschach guy? Why is he like, you know, murdering people like left, right, and center? And then it's later on that I I discover that 
okay, this is the wave of postmodern comics that are coming into mainstream superhero comics, mainly at at DC. So this is it's Watchmen, it's it's the Dark Knight Returns by by Frank Miller. It's and it's like other comics like um, you know that, that basically it's spearheaded by Alan Moore, right? So it's it's Watchmen, Swamp Thing, and 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 V for Vendetta that are the kind of the things that are like make, taking comics to a new level. And he's dissecting the superhero genre through using the Watchmen characters who are originally you know like meant to be these characters from a comic company called Charlton Comics, the Blue Beetle, Captain Adam, you know, who else is there? Uh, Silk, uh, Silk Spectre, it is supposed to be Nightshade, uh, Judo Master, uh, you know, Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt are all turned into the Watchmen characters, which I thought was really fascinating. And then, you know, the TV show gets announced and I'm like, what? Okay. And then it's like, it's, it's a sequel to the, to the comic book, not to the movie because the movie is, is different from, the comic book and i like the movie as well i think it gets maligned a little unfairly i don't know how they were gonna do the fucking monster in, in a yeah. two-hour movie right so like the the idea that it's you know spoiler alert that it's dr manhattan who like you know is the threat is is i thought was really ingenious on Zack snyder's part but 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 to the tv show i was like they're gonna do a sequel to watchmen set exactly the same time like the same amount of time that from when the comic was first released, when the comic is set to to now, I thought that'll be interesting because like the idea of Watchmen is that superheroes change the world. So how's that world going to be changed even further, like thirty years down the road? And, and I watched the first episode, and it has you know the the massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of Black Wall Street, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh my god, this actually happened! And then I'm 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 like, oh, this is Damon Lindelof telling the origin of Superman because. Hooded Justice is the first superhero yeah. in the Watchmen universe, and so Superman is the first superhero of the DC universe and the first superhero in in comic books. And I thought that's just brilliant, like you know, meta shit happening here. And then later on, we we you know we see like you know the character of like you know um, Sister Knight, like um, played by Regina King, is like oh she's you know like how that relates and everything like that and the character of uh, looking glass i thought was really interesting how he's kind of like a parallel to like you know Rorschach and it, i just i thought it was great but the the social commentary the, the 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 way it was filmed the cinematic techniques existing in this show the casting the acting it was just such an amazing experience watching this week to week i think the one the one my first takeaway from it was how hilarious it was at, with and Dave Dave and I talked about this almost weekly with people like oh this show is too woke or they're too political yeah. where it's like yeah did you ever read the the yeah the original last book was super political yeah like it's it's almost as if you you know people and I get it some not everyone has read the Watchmen or seen the movie and see another superhero thing and go, oh, okay, HBO's getting into the superhero genre. But much in, like, The Boys uh, over on Amazon, to me, it's like, oh, no, like, you you very much have to understand this is a satire, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, like you said, meta shit going on. And I, like, myself, like, I love the show. I, I love the movie. Um, much like you, I understood in this two hour movie, even in like the super extended, like three hour Snyder cut version, it still would have been hard to have done the squid. Uh, so I understand why they went with Manhattan, but like to me, the most, the, my favorite episode and and the whole show is, you know, it's the opening to episode five, I believe 
where they show you um, like a young looking glass. He, you know, he's like a Jehovah Witness, I believe, and they're going around. Oh, yeah. They're going around, and you know, there's this girl who like tricks them, and she's like oh, into thinking they're gonna like fool around, and he's kind of all like, oh fuck, you know, she tricked me, she took all my clothes, and then it happens, you know, like you see, you know, all the chaos that's happened, and the camera just keeps panning out, panning out, and I'm just like, are they gonna fuck? No, they're not gonna. And then you just see like the giant squid, and throughout the whole episode like you see how badly that fucked up that fucked him up you know he has ptsd it, it ruined his marriage and it's so heartbreaking when you know you finally see him learn that it was all for nothing that it was all there was all staged you know and again the character of looking glass was probably like my second favorite on the show just because uh sister knight was his such an awesome character but seeing seeing him you know get that seeing that background for his story and like how it made him now and it kind of forced him to change the way he was because you know he winds up help helping sister Ned on the end but that was definitely one of those characters where if they did a second season which doesn't look like they are and, and i'm fine i'm fine with there not being a second season but if there is a second season i definitely want to see more of him because like at the last that we leave this dude you know everything that he believed it's kind of it's essentially been a lie for the last you know 30 years of his life so that's it, definitely a character that again i i'm not getting my hopes up that there is a second season but if lindelof ever decides to come back i like i definitely hope that we get more of him because again i just that was the one character where i was like oh, i want to see more oh yeah definitely like i think he stood out along with you know like sister knight and uh like i i think both regina king and with his what's the actor's name tim blake nelson yeah right mm -hmm. looking glass yeah. so i think they'll definitely come back like i i don't think dr manhattan's gonna come back um don't think maybe Louis Gossett Jr. If he's still alive, might come back if they ever film a second season. But I would love to see them like do flashback episodes. What happened to like what happened to Night Owl? Right? You know, like that'd be cool. Like he's obviously in prison, and like maybe you know, so you know, like uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jade, is it uh, Silk Spectre? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. She'll, maybe she's gonna get him out of prison. Finally, like maybe he. she because of the work she did in the first season, she can get him out of prison. I'd like to see him come back. You know, maybe, you know, a new uh, Rorschach's going to show up. Who knows? Like, it, it'd be cool. I, I like you. I don't I don't mind if there's not a second season because I think in of itself, this is perfect the way it is. And yeah. you don't need you don't need a second season. But if it happens, I'm, I'm totally on board. Yeah, I, I'd say personally, like, for me, it was almost a perfect season. Um, and I think it's, my one gripe might be one of the things I liked the most maybe later on down the line is that they relied uh, a lot on like the story in between the lines on the PDPedia sites. And I, I'm not sure if that was a great idea or if that might be like the first seed of something that happens for more shows where you kind of integrate different, uh, different uh, modes of entertainment in order to like supplement the show. Um, but like you, know, you have things like uh, Lube Man, which you know they talk about on Pedipedia. But like for the people that weren't aware of that sort of stuff, they're they're probably like, "What the hell happened to that Lube guy?" You know, 
But um, that'd be my but, my only gripe about the whole show. But my my feeling about like the Pedia stuff is that it's the same what Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons did in the back of each issue of The Watchmen, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, we just had all that appendix stuff, like the excerpts from Under the Hood, and then talking about like the guys who created the the squid monster like the the artists yeah. and the writers who created the squid monster this is all information that if you don't read that backup stuff which is mainly text so like if you're reading comics and you don't want to read text you're probably going to yeah. skip that stuff you're you're missing out on a lot like i think in 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 2020 like it's it's behooven on you if you follow a tv show and they make you aware of Oh, by the way, there's a supplementary material that's online. Yeah. Like, who doesn't have an internet connection, right? Like, so you can yeah, easily sure. look at that. I I can see where you're coming from, Dave, but I just personally don't think it's that big of a deal to have like this supplementary material on a website because it's pretty much the same thing what like the you know the original creators did in the comic book. Yeah, no, I I definitely think like we're gonna start seeing a lot more of that stuff. You know, not just with Watchmen specifically, but like with other things. Um, because for the most part, really big fans like going down little rabbit holes like that. Um, but I, I have seen like online discussions where people were like, "I don't, what happened? You know, what, what's going on with all this?" And so, um, yeah, I don't know. That would be my only gripe. But it's like the most minor, minor gripe on a masterpiece, you know. See, my one minor gripe throughout the whole thing, and it, I've talked about it probably with both of you guys was uh and again spoilers if you haven't seen watchmen and you plan on watching watchmen probably skip for like the next five minutes um but you know it's uh cal you know yaya abdul mateen the second uh, most badass name but his character of cal uh we discover he's secretly dr manhattan and then in the one flashback episode where you know he shows up in vietnam and you don't see his face but you hear him you know talking and the one thing I wish they would have done kind of like as a nod to, uh, and I get why they didn't cause it would have just confused people, but I wish they would, they would have brought back Billy Crudup to play that version of Dr. Manhattan just for the simple fact that, you know, in, in 10 minutes, he's going to completely change the way he looks and the way he sounds. Right. So it doesn't really matter what he looks and sounds like now. Uh, there was also a rumor of John Cena, being the one to play Dr. Manhattan as he's got, you know, that giant physique and that build. So even if they hadn't gotten Billy Crudup as a wrestling nerd, I would have loved to, you know, just, just to see him painted in blue, uh, have John Cena show up. And because he's got that robotic voice where he can talk and tell you that in 15 minutes, you're going to be angry because you know, there's a fly in your water. Like, I would have preferred to see that, but again, it's, like you said, Dave, a minor gripe within a masterpiece because, like, there's just so much. I, I, I recently, I started rewatching it because Hulu had it up. I mean, I have HBO, but Hulu had it up on there for, for I I forgot what the, the occasion was, but they had it up there. And, like, even seeing, um, what's his face, who plays, uh, oh, God damn it, I forgot his name, um, He's stuck on the. He's stuck on the uh, on Jupiter's moon. Uh, Ozzy Mandias. Ozzy, yeah, Ozzy Mandias. Like, the, the, what's the name of the actor who plays him? Uh, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy yeah. Irons. Like, so good. You know, for the most part, he was just acting either by himself or or with the other actors that were playing. You know, Doctor Manhattan's children, and like you mentioned, I want to see more of him. You know, like 
this man was a hot and you see a little bit of it in the show but he was a hundred percent sure that the world was just going to idolize him and oh my god thank you you saved all of us like you're the second coming of jesus and none of that happened you know and as much as he tried to like ah oh, it's fine it's whatever like no clearly it ate away at the guy for for quite a while and he's another character who along with Lori, because they do mention in the pdp files uh that you're talking about stank that uh you know Lori and night owl they they go their own separate ways and i free, i think he keeps going on with like being a vigilante and winds up in jail but he's on some sort of like hey i'll hook up your police with uh you know ships that look like archimedes and you know maybe you lower my sentence something along the lines of that but again that that is another character that i would i would love to see pop up you know if they ever do um but what were what were your what was your take on the ending did did she get dr manhattan's powers or you know were we just were we just led to to believe something else i i honestly don't know you know i i it could be like that's the thing about like like Lindelof. If you look at his other shows, like The Leftovers and Lost, there's like a lot of ambiguity in the work that he does. So I, I'm perfectly fine not knowing, you know, if if she got the powers or not. Like I I would if I was writing it, she the first shot of like season two for episode one of season two would be her just falling into the pool. Yeah, falling into the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and be like, oh, I got that's not what that was meant for i i don't think her destiny is to be like a god i think her destiny is to be like the best human that she can be raising these three white kids that were the orphans of her partner who got massacred right who got killed along in the, the police massacre that they um that they showed in what was it the what was it called the the white christmas or yeah, yeah. white christmas white christmas right that so i think that's far more interesting for her i think for regina king as an actor that'd be a far more interesting thing to play and narratively i think it's better if there's no dr manhattan anymore right there's no god godlike being anymore like i think we played out that idea in the comic books and in the first season of this show um but you know like you know what for me i i it would be cool like you know like if there was a crossover between the leftovers and watchmen say like all the people who disappeared and in, in the leftovers suddenly showed up in the world of the watchmen wouldn't that be cool that would be pretty cool i would love it especially because like both you know because all i ever fucking talk about is i just finished the leftovers but you mentioned like damon lindelof and like leaving things ambiguous um dave you probably won't have much to because you haven't you haven't watched the leftovers uh but uh wh do do you believe uh do you believe nor and again i'm trying to keep it a spoiler free for those of you who haven't watched the leftovers uh but do you believe nora or do you think she was making it up for kevin's sake i believe her i believe that what she described happened to her in the time of the time that she's missing that Kevin can't find her actually happened. Um, to me, like for the sake of her character, I think that would be such a wonderful thing. And it, it makes the most sense to me that he can't find her until like she, she, you know, she, you know, it's a spoiler that she comes back to their world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I I love the ending of the leftovers. Like that whole interaction between Kevin and Nora is just such beautiful television. Like in terms of the writing and the acting and the way it's shot from the time he shows up at her door to the time that they go to the wedding to the time like they just have their sit down and just have you know he confesses everything to her. It's just great great stuff. And I was just like I kind of going to give it some time but i'm probably going to go watch all three seasons again at some point well like especially with that finale like it very much felt to me like an hour and a half movie you know it's you mentioned from from beginning to end like they make every moment count it's not you know for resting terms just like a spot fest where they're just doing things to do things like they're telling the story you know in the short amount of time and i think that's one of the the one thing about lindelof that i like that it's he can he can and i have i can't speak for lost i haven't seen lost but you know he can leave like a satisfying ending leave it ambiguous and it's basically up to you which is for someone for anyone making any sort of art that we consume i can very much appreciate that you know there's there's nothing wrong to me with uh you know, oh, they captured Han and, you know, Vader is Luke's dad and everything's fucked and, oh, this is the way it is. So, fuck it, whatever. Th- this is the way it's ending, you know, just being told straight up, this is this is the way this story is ending. Um, like, I'm fine with that, but I'm also fine with if you can leave something ambiguous as to, like, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe you know, she puts her foot on the water and goes right through, falls into the pool. Maybe she walks on water. You don't know. And I think depending on, on how good of, of how good the story is told, you're either going to be very satisfied with it or very, you know, I mean, which it's pretty much for any story. But, like, in this case, especially with The Watchmen, like, the the fact that, like, you decide how it ends because that way – you know, if it goes one way, Damon, regardless of which way you think it ends, Damon Lindelof, you know, doesn't have to sit there and have to explain himself because at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're projecting the story that you think. Yeah, in the theater of the mind. Exactly. Yeah, because with story, it's different with stories that are longer, like with a lot of like these Marvel movies. You know, they're you know the story isn't going to be done anytime soon short of like a captain america or iron man dying for the most part if some you know like infinity war i love the movie as great as it is at the end when everything's gone to shit i like i didn't think anyone was legitimately thought that like everyone's gone forever and that's that right you know we we all know the basic structure structure of like a story um but with something like the Watchmen, where they've not said, "Hey, there's a season two coming," you know, they they're just like, "Yep, this is the ending, and that's that." And for what was it, like nine episodes, you know, for in those nine episodes, two of them have told like a good enough story for like even the three of us to sit here and go, "Yeah, that's fine, we get it." Like things that speaks volumes for Damon Lindelof and like how good of a storyteller he is. Oh, definitely. Like I I look forward to anything he does like in TV format from this point on like H and I hope it's at HBO. Cause I think that's probably the, the perfect marriage of his yeah. vision is with cable, not with network. So especially on a platform like Amazon or like, sorry, sorry. Um, like, like HBO or, or maybe even Netflix where there's like no restrictions in terms of content, in terms of language and things like that. 
go go with one of those uh, you know platforms. Don't go with a, a network television show, which I think are too restrictive. Yeah, well, I think he he mm-hmm. just talked about like how frustrated he was with his experience, you know, working on Lost. Like his idea was, we're going to wrap this whole thing up in three seasons, and then the TV execs were like, no, 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 what? If we're getting people to watch this, what? Why not stretch it out to ten seasons? And he just felt very trapped in that. You know what I mean? And, and it's uh, when you have like a TV network, of course, they're just going to try and keep pumping the ratings out as long as they can. And then that's when you see a, like a really good idea just kind of turned to shit. You know, when it's out of the creator's hands. So yeah, I think HBO is a good fit for him. Plus, I know. The- I- Oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I, I I can't imagine like if like the leftovers was on ABC, it probably have like it. We probably still be watching it, and it probably wouldn't be any good. Yeah, you just get sick of it. Like the, like the Walking Dead kind of was like that. It's just like, all right, we get it, you know. And the the one thing that I like about Lindelof is like Dave, you touched on it, like the creative freedom that he had, which is like he, there was an interview I was reading with him where he was like, no, I. I very much wanted to end the leftovers at three seasons and and wrap up all the stories I wanted to tell so that when he's at a comic con and you know been two three years time that people still aren't asking him questions about you know oh what happened to what happened to Kevin's ex-wife and what about Kevin's children and what about the you know hey whatever happened in Nor- and it's just because yeah, where are you going with this little plot thread exactly because I guess that's like a thing that still happens to him through lost and again like i have i haven't really i I tried to start watching the show and like i don't know i i got through episode one and was kind of just like all right like that's fine but and i think and, and i want to give it an honest chance because i think a lot of it comes from like having been told so much like it's a great story until it's not and yeah yeah you know and that's that's one of those you know preconceived things where you try not to like, oh, what did you think about this movie? And then someone tells you how awful it is and, you know, you go into said movie and you're just like, oh, this wasn't that good. But, like, in reality, it was just your, your you know, your your skew was, you know, it was your view on this was a little bit skewed because of things other people told you. Yeah, I mean, like, I remember, you know, I know you and, and Brayden hate The Last Jedi, but you guys can go book, fuck yourself, because I love that movie. <laughs> so, you know, because I, every time I rewatch it, I'm like, I like this part even more. I like this part even more. Okay, this part, eh. But the things I love about The Last Jedi are far, a far out number of the things I don't like about the movie. And, and like, I know about your particular argument, Berto, but like, Brayden's, like I remember him and Dave reviewed it, and it seemed like the basis of his hatred for that movie was green milk. And I'm just like, really? You hate this fucking movie because of green milk? All right, all right. I, I'm I'm not gonna listen to any more of your arguments because your fucking structure is based on he's drinking green milk. What the fuck is that? Okay, whatever. And I love Brayden. Don't get me wrong, I love the guy, but his the 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 foundation of his argument for his hatred of the Last Jedi is completely like misguided in my opinion. See, and 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 like to, and to be fair. I what I don't like about the Last Jedi, um, I don't blame on Ryan Johnson. You know, I I blame it more so on Kathleen Kennedy and Disney not knowing what the fuck it was that they were trying to do. Um, although I will say Ryan Johnson did waste uh, Justin Theroux in the movie. Uh, that's 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 my one personal gripe with Ryan Johnson. Um, but a lot of like what I read about the last Jedi was 
you know, they basically told um, J.J. Abrams, like, hey, you know, we want you to come in and, you know, do one, two, and three. And he's like, awesome. And they're like, well, actually, we want you to just do number one. But, like, if you can lay out the, you know, the outline for two and three, that'll work as well. And, you know, he does the first one and they just slowly are taking things away from him and don't get me wrong like i love the force awakens it's it you know one of my favorite star wars movies um but like with the last jedi it's just i felt and again i also kind of feel bad for ryan johnson because you know he had to pick up where jj left off but he has to start telling part one of his story but people are waiting on part two of jj's story and then you know then everything gets muddied up and then they have to bring in jj to you know fix what people didn't like about part two but it's only because part two was part one you know like it just it gets really muddied so and i just you know i would just i would just like to pretend that movie you know it it happened it's fine i just i wish that there would have been as far as with management there would have been a better like I wish there would have been a Kevin Feige, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, who could have made sure that even though Ryan Johnson was coming in, you know, and he wants to, you know, do A, B, and C, that C, you know, that D, E, and F, these these things still have to happen. Um, and I don't know, maybe if I watch The Last Jedi again at some point, I'll, I'll lighten up. But like right now, especially after watching The Leftovers, I'm like, oh, how could you have wasted Justin Thoreau? It, it, the, the most throwaway scene where he's just like, huh? What's going on over there? Well, he, he had big plans for that character, the master codebreaker, right? And the thing is, is Ryan Johnson is slated to do his own trilogy. And, and I'm hoping he takes all the characters he created for The Last Jedi that survived The Last Jedi, and he uses them in his new trilogy. So I, I would like to see Rose, uh, Master Codebreaker, uh, Benicio Del Toro's uh, DJ character, and and possibly the broom boy at the end of uh, yes. at the end of The Last Jedi. But the, the, you know the one thing I really love about The Last Jedi, and this is what what my love of Star Wars movies in general is based around is like their homages to like other film genres. So like in the last Jedi, you have an homage to world war two bomber movies. You have an homage to like kind of, you know, you know, kind of movies like Casablanca, like, or, or, or James Bond films that are set in casinos. You have, you know, an homage to, you know, Akira Kurosawa movies with the battle between Ray and, and, uh, and Kylo Ren against the, the emperor's Praetorian guard. I, I, I love all that stuff. Like when I see these things in a star Wars movie, I'm like, Oh, I love that. Like George Lucas did that a lot in his six movies uh, in the original trilogy and the, and the, the, the prequels, JJ Abrams doesn't do it that much in, in both of his movies. Like he doesn't really, played the homage card too heavily which like and i love and i love the force awakens and i and i kind of you know kind of like rise of skywalker i had to watch it again but i love the last jedi because it has all those film references to other film genres that i love like westerns and samurai movies and world war ii movies and things like that um I, yeah I, I i very much I, I get what you mean like i one of my favorite star wars movies is rogue one and specifically the one you know you mentioned you take a little bit uh different genres to me that's the one star wars movie that has a horror movie element to it because at the end of the movie when they get when they get that like usb driver or whatever it is and then you just you know all the lights go off and then you just hear the 
and yeah. Vader's there just the killing wrecking ass just destroying everybody with his lightsaber and there's one specific scene where the you know Vader's destroying everyone left and right and the one guy just like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it has a little USB drive and he's like here take it take it and like nobody can hear him because the alarms are blaring and finally like the one guy grabs it like I very much appreciate that and you know it's like you mentioned like I can find any to me any Star Wars is good Star Wars. Like I'm happy now that because um, it used to be with superhero movies. Um, there's a lot of people that I mean I'm a little bit more critical of them now because with superhero movies uh, I I've often related it to uh, like older wrestling where. <laughs> I guess with like women's wrestling almost where back in the day, like with the women weren't taken serious and they didn't get the chance. If that makes sense, you know, they didn't get the chance to, to show off what they could do, you know, because at the end of the day it was just like, ah, well you're just like a niche thing. But now women's wrestling, it's my favorite thing on most of the shows. You know, I, like I, I just recently watched the, the Sasha Banks, Io Shirai match and it was more enjoyable to me than anything on either you know either of the two Wednesday night shows or even anything on on Raw, but to me with superhero movies, you know, again, I, I equate I kind of equate it right now to like women's wrestling in that like you have the opportunity to to go out there and kill it, so like take that opportunity, you know, don't kind of squander it or because again, a lot of superhero movies now they're a lot of them are we got to build a universe, you know, we have to we have to start building universe and it's just like tell a good story. You know, like tell a good story. And then if all that it's good, then let's do a part two, you know. Um, but and I forgot why I don't even why I brought it. Oh, but with Star Wars, you know, it's I'm completely lost. I, I started talking about women's wrestling and, and Marvel movies. All Star Wars is good. Star Wars is, is, is uh, you know, that's what I'll leave it off. At. So I have, I have a I, sorry I have a quick question that like for you and Dave like do you guys read the 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 relaunched Marvel Star Wars comics? I have, no. I, I have I have the first two issues. I've read the first one. I I haven't read the second one, but, but to be fair, I've all I've I've got like a stack of books that are they just haunt me every time I walk by my desk because I've I've not picked them up in a while. But have, have you been reading them? Well, did Dave didn't answer the question yet. No, I, I, no, I, I haven't. No. Okay, so, yeah, I, I've read them. Like from, I think they relaunched in 2015, and like the, the first, the main Star Wars title was written by a guy named Jason Aaron, who's a big time, you know, Marvel writer, and, and he, he just told the story between episode, you know, episode four and episode five between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back of like Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, and that, that was an awesome series. It introduced all these new characters, but he didn't change anything that happened in the movies because he already knows what happens between like what happens in new hope and then what happens in empire so he just has to dove, dovetail all his stories into that and then later on it was taken over by this writer by the name of kieran gillen who also wrote the darth vader comic that launched the same time and that was fucking awesome as well like and then he finished it off basically and then now they relaunched the star wars title so it's now it's happening between the empire strikes back and return of the jedi and if you're a star wars fan really this stuff is all canon like Marvel and Disney and, and Lucasfilm have all said, this stuff is canon. This hack, this this stuff is official. So, and then 
I'm excited to see what happens like in these new comics because there's no more Han Solo. So Lando's in the cast now. It's like, oh, okay, let's see how they get from this point, episode five to episode six, right? And how and I wanna know where where the fuck is Boba Fett? Does he he doesn't go straight to Jabba's fucking hut with you know Jabba's palace with frozen Han Solo, right? He he's like going all over the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why didn't he just go straight to Java and collect his money and like, hey, and hey, hey, Java, here's your new fucking, you know, wall ornament from fucking Galactic Ikea or something. <laughs> well, like, speaking of the character Boba Fett, uh, I'm, I'm excited that he's rumored to be showing up um, in this next season of uh, The Mandalorian because, yeah. again, like that that to me, like, prove that, you know, you can do Scott, you can do Star Wars without the Skywalkers. Um, which I, I mean, to me, that was, you know, that was proven when they came out with the Rogue One, and you didn't have a Skywalker. It was kind of just its own story within the Star Wars universe, and then you have Rogue One to kind of just solidify that, like, yes, you can in fact tell stories in this universe. You know, with, with new characters, obviously, you know, you, you incorporate older characters, and you know, and, and the IG droid and Baby Yoda, but like that's one of those where characters were with Boba Fett or I'm kind of hoping and again I, I haven't read too much of the comics but like that's one character that people have loved you know everyone loves Boba Fett if anything for like how aesthetically pleasing he looks but like he kind of got shortchanged in the movies you know like he doesn't do like with me going into Star Wars for the first time I've I'm not sure if I've told you the story yet WH um, my first Star Wars anything was Spaceballs. I watched uh, ah. I watched Spaceballs. Loved it. It was it was like one of those like Saturday, you know, Saturday afternoon movies. So I watched Spaceballs. I'm like, oh my God, I love this. This is hilarious. It's awesome. And then I finally get to watch Star Wars. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, this th- this isn't you know, this isn't the same thing at all. Uh but I learned, you know, I I, I learned to love that as well. Um my first experience being watching you know, Star Wars, Spaceballs, and then the actual Star Wars, because, you know, Star Wars was already a thing, I go back, because this was right before Episode 1 came out, so I'm like, okay, Boba Fett, I, I know who he is, you know, my neighbors, they've got the toys, alright, let's 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 see what Boba Fett's all about. Then you watch the movies, and he really doesn't do anything, and I'm like, okay, am I missing something? Like, what was it? And I guess it's just, it was one of those, like, you know, you, you had to be there, kind of things. Um, but, well, I, I think, I mean, to expand on that, like, we, we, you know, we mentioned The Mandalorian. One of the great things about, like, what Disney Plus is doing and, like, The Mandalorian specifically is, like, for a lot of super hardcore Star Wars fans, which I, I don't know if I fit in that category, but, like, there's so much, like, uh, deep lore of Star Wars that, like, a lot of people don't even know about. But, you know, you had, like all the legend stuff, which they said wasn't canon now, but I think they're starting to make some of it canon. But, like, all these volumes of books and different types of media that we're talking about stuff other than, like, the Skywalker saga, um, you can now tell in, like, a much more compelling way on that service. And, like, The Mandalorian is kind of... Especially when you take something like that and then you have, you know, Dave Filoni anywhere in the mix of that sort of stuff, you know, it's going to be treated with like kid gloves and like attention to detail. And I think, um, you know, 
just the promise of a show like The Mandalorian, and now they're going to address Boba Fett in it. It's got like a lot of fans really excited. So I'm pretty interested in seeing what that's going to uh, bear. Anything Dave Filoni does revolving Star Wars, I'm down for it because I love the yeah. Clone Wars. I love Rebels. And I think he has, I think he knows Star Wars better than any other fil- like yes. filmmaker. He knows Star Wars better than George Lucas himself in the, at, at this point, in, in my opinion. Like he took the, the kind of like, and I like the prequels to varying degrees, but like he took that mess of a narrative of like story elements and he wove it into something coherent and, and yeah. palpable. In the Clone Wars, and he granted he had the the benefit of having a long form you know medium in in, in the form of television to, to to tell these stories of these characters, but like you watch the, the the last three seasons of Clone Wars are way better than like the first two prequel movies in terms of like telling a story about this part of the Star Wars universe, you know this this part of the history. Have you? Yeah, and, and I, we were talking about like you know maybe we wish Star Wars had its Kevin Feige. I think that should be Dave Filoni. He should, be, oh, he, should be, he should be mapping out everything because, like, he's got so much more to give to the universe. He's got such a passion, and, and like you know, like you just said, I think I think it's he's got a better understanding more than George Lucas because you know, after a while, he was kind of doing like parody of his own stuff, and uh, I think uh, I think Dave Filoni treats it a little more. I don't want to say religiously, but like definitely more seriously and more passionately. So. WH, have you been watching the on Disney Plus? There's like a making of the Mandalorian uh, series that they have on there. I I don't actually get Disney Plus. Uh, it's called Disney Deluxe here in Japan, but uh, I, I I watch the Mandalorian through uh, alternative means. But I have not watched these making ofs. But I will use these alternative means to go search them out. <laughs> well, there's there's one episode specifically because you talk about, and I promise you guys we'll, we'll move on from Star Wars after this. But you mentioned how he like has an understanding of the original trilogy or the episodes one through three and you know that's from being lucas's protege there's uh I'll, I'll find the link to this specific clip and send it over to you in like two minutes he he talks about how the the moment that uh anakin and in, in episode six you know he he turns on the emperor and he helps out his son you know picks up emperor throws him and, and you know he he's be, he's being a father a father figure to Luke because Luke hasn't had that father figure. It can all go. It all traces back. It all goes back to Episode One, in which uh, you have the fight with uh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon Jinn and Darth Maul. It has Duel the Fates playing, and Duel the Fates has more. It, it, it's a more of a meaning than just what the name of the song is, because you have Darth Maul, who's just like this embodiment of evil, and Qui Gon Jinn understands that he needs to be the father figure for this boy because he is so powerful that he's either going to be really good or really bad. And the Jedi, they've lost, you know, they're losing touch with what the Jedi are supposed to be with what they actually represent. And they're not going to want to train them. So that's why he, you know, he says, you know, you guys do you, I'm going to train him. You know, I'm making it my own personal mission. I'm going to train this boy. I'm going to, you know, help him, you know, become stronger pulls him away from his mom you know the only other family that he has that he knows of so the moment that darth maul kills qui-gon jinn spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen episode one um 
you know, that's enough time. This has been enough time. <laughs> that seals Anakin's fate because at that point, like the one father figure that he had that was supposed to kind of guide him through everything, it's gone because Obi Wan, you know, from this point on is going to not be a father figure, but more like of an older brother. And he's doing that not because he wants to, but as a favor to Qui Gon Jinn, you know, who was right. his. He didn't mentor. really want to do it. Yeah, he, he didn't want to do it. And, you know, so that, and that's one of those things where Anakin, you know, there he loses his father figure. And so he has his older brother. And then, you know, he's like, well, I still have my mom. But then she dies. And then he has his wife. And then she dies giving birth. And then his kids, you know, they're taken away from him, rightfully so, at, at that point in his life. But, you know, and then you go back to full circle with, to where his son needs that father figure because his son's about to die. You know, all this embodiment of evil is going to kill him. And he, you know, he finally finds it within himself to be that father figure he didn't have and, and save his own son. And again, Dave Filoni says it all better. But like watching the video of him saying all that, like my jaw was literally a gape where I was like, holy shit. Like that, like in two minutes you know whatever two three minutes like he he made like those first three movies kind of like matter not that they didn't matter before but just it was a different spin on it and again this was things that had he not been the protege of george lucas like he would have no context to he would you know it would just be things he's surmising but i i definitely got to send you the clip for that because it's it's just so good yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I, uh, you know, like I, I think like the thing with Dave Filoni is like he he's absorbed so much of the lore, not only from the movies but from like the the expanded universe, the video games and and the novels mm-hmm. that he distills that all into his own fandom and his his working with with George Lucas directly, and that he he gets the green light to do the Clone Wars, and he can like just take all these things and put them in. Like the fact that he brings in Grand Admiral Thrawn into Rebels, like I thought was brilliant because like you, there's a one of the greatest expanded universe characters that's you know not canon for the longest time, and then he brings him in. Now the character's canon, so I'm like, oh my god, can he do that with Mara Jade and and Talon Card and some of these other characters that I would love to see in in the canon universe that are non-canon now because of the, the force awakens that would be awesome like i would i would be interested but but primarily if if dave filoni is in charge of that stuff yeah for sure yeah i'm definitely interested interested in to see what he brings to you know to all the new star wars that we have um but as we're kind of winding down here wh uh as you know we there's uh two questions that we tend to ask every one of our guests um you know, it's it's something that it's always interesting to see what what it is that people have to say. Uh, the first one being, do you remember your first piece of wrestling merchandise, be it a program, an action figure, uh, you know, a wrestling T-shirt or something? Um, I always my my go to is always my Eddie Guerrero. I'm your poppy T-shirt. But uh, what about yourself? My first piece of actual wrestling merchandise, like would probably be a Jake the Snake Roberts t-shirt that I bought at my first house show that I went into at the old Maple Leaf Gardens when, when it still had the ramp. I think the main event was Hulk Hogan versus, was it, either, it was either Big Boss Man or it was Earthquake in a stretcher match. I, I don't remember the main event so well because it's Hulk Hogan and all his matches are shit. But... <laughs> uh, 
you know, but like I remember Jake the Snake was on that show, and I and I, at the time I was really into Jake the Snake, and he had he probably had one of the few cool T-shirts that was available from the WWF, like where I wouldn't be embarrassed to wear it. Like most of their T-shirts at that time are really shit, and so I thought, oh, this Jake the Snake Roberts design is pretty cool. I could wear that, and so I bought that shirt. All right, and uh, is there what is your most prized piece of wrestling merchandise? What's the one thing that you know? If your house is going down in a fire right now, you're going to bring it with you. Oh God! Besides my DVD collection, uh, <laughs> and I'm not just talking about like my official ones. I'm talking about all the bootlegs I have of like Japanese shows from like say from like 1999 until up until 2010. I have like pretty much every Japanese show on DVD <laughs> in, in my house. Besides that. I'm going to go with this thing called the Wrestling Almanac from the year, I'm going to say, 1996. And it was published by uh, Weston Publishing, which is, you know, the home of the Aftermax, Wrestling Illustrated, the wrestler inside wrestling, which are really famous, right? So this is the first time that I read about the the, the All Japan guys, Mitsuharu Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Kira Taue, uh, Kenta Kobashi, and like Stan Hansen and, and, and like Dr. Desi Williams and Terry Gordy were all wrestling there. And it like, it, and this is like this almanac just detailed wrestling across the world at that time. WWF, WCW, ECW, All Japan, New Japan, you know, at the time, I think war was still around and, 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 you know, FMW was still around. And I'm just reading about this in this almanac and it's just like news to me. I'm like, what? There's this whole new other world. I've kind of familiarized myself with it, but I'm reading about it now. Like reading and digesting it that way, getting information that way is completely different than just like hearing about it here and there. So that to me really sparked my interest in my in, in searching out this stuff called All Japan Pro Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling and and wrestling in general. In, in the country of japan so like that's something that i hold very dear like it's somewhere in my house in in toronto i'd have to find it but i'm pretty sure it's in my bedroom somewhere which is a big mess so it would take some time wh we very much appreciated all the time you've taken out of your day to to sit yeah, around and actually, oh, no, I, I just thought i just thought of one question that i'd like to ask wh um go for it uh, Clearly, you have a, a great love for uh, Japanese wrestlers and Japanese wrestling. Um, wh- what do you think uh, American wrestling promotions get wrong about Japanese wrestlers when they bring them in? Like, I, w- I always feel like when they bring in a very respected Japanese wrestler, they, they almost turn it into a lot of Japanese stereotype. And for some reason, a lot of that stuff that just doesn't seem to work in American promotions. What, what, what do you think it is that American promotions get wrong about promoting Japanese wrestlers in particular? It's what they get wrong about promoting everyone who's not American and that, oh, this person's Japanese. They don't look at it, this person's a great wrestler. They think of that person as a Japanese wrestler. They think of every wrestler from the UK, oh, that's a British wrestler. Like, that's a Scottish wrestler. That's an Irish wrestler. That's a French wrestler. You know what I mean? They don't think of them as yeah. wrestlers. They think of them as caricatures and nationalities. And and that's the problem with, you know, primarily the WWF, the WWE, is that they are very jigonistic, uh, you know, and, and let's say borderline, eh, maybe not borderline racist organization, like that cares more about like promoting, like, you know, stereotypes than they are about characters and personalities, right? And like, it's like the same within 
you know, American wrestling, it's like, this is a Southern wrestler. So they're going to be a Southern stereotype. This is uh, a Jewish wrestler. So they're going to be a Jewish wrestling, wrestling stereotype. It's like every, almost every wrestling wrestler from Mexico is some form of a Mexican, like quote unquote Mexican wrestler, right? Whether it's right. a Mexican, like usually they're criminals or something like that, or they're, you know, yeah. like, or they, or they do something underhanded or they're a mass wrestler or something like that. Or they're riding and, lawnmowers. Yeah. That bullshit, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's like, it's Tozawa being a fucking ninja. It's like, it's, it's stupid. Oh, why is he a ninja? Oh, cause he's fucking Japanese, right? Well, fuck you. So like, this is why I, I, I have slowly and surely pivoted away from American wrestling, the WWF, WWE in particular, because they're they're fucking shit. They're a shit fucking company. Okay, <laughs> they they're running shows during a global fucking pandemic. Kevin Dunn, this fucking idiot, doesn't want people to wear masks because he doesn't believe in fucking COVID. Fuck you, Kevin Dunn. Fuck you, Vince McMahon. Fuck this whole company. I like the people working there. I like the wrestlers working there for the most part. But fuck the management of this company. They're fucking shit. That's yeah. I, I was I was cringe, and it's like with very few exceptions. Whenever a Japanese wrestler debuts. It's always like heart music, uh, a titantron with like a like a Japanese or a Chinese takeout font, and like cherry blossom petals flying around, and like silk robes. And it's like that doesn't that doesn't work. Like no, it doesn't connect with anyone now. That's not like an idiot racist. You know what I mean? Well, it's like it's almost every every black character that's ever come through that the doors of that company is also the, like fits like a certain stereotype. Nate Milton brilliantly like labels like the, the the like I think there's like three or four types of black wrestling characters, and like the WWF is guilty of, of using them all, and they're mo- for the most part negative or they're just yeah. very condescending, right? And so it, it's it's the problem, and it's not just the WWF. Like, listen, AEW does it too. Ring of Honor does it too. Not to the extent of the WWE or the WWE. I keep saying the WWF. They're not that anymore. But they're the, the most egregious, you know, offenders of jigganism, of racism, and stereotyping like wrestlers based on their ethnicity or their nationality. Yeah, it's yeah, well, it, it's very like prominent in you know, you bring in listen, the reason I started watching Japanese wrestling was Shinsuke Nakamura. You know, the guy just you know, sweats charisma. You know, charisma just pouring out of his pores, and you know he comes into WWE has that awesome match with Sammy, and like in NXT they find a way to make it work because the, the guy's English isn't the best. You know, it's good, but it's just it's clearly not like you know I'm cutting a promo to sell a pay per view. Uh, great, which is fine. You know, you don't not not everyone has to cut you know a a promo of that magnitude. But, you know, he gets up to the main roster and, you know, you, you, you see all the little changes where it's just the artist, former, you know, it, it's these weird things. Or even you mentioned Akira Tozawa, who is pound for pound one of the best wrestlers on that roster. And, like, as good as this guy is, out of everything you can do with him, you make him a fucking ninja. And that's just, it's so, it's so cringe you know, I mean, and, and every now and then they have someone like uh, down in um, NXT right now. They have he used to be uh, Elijo del, del um, Fantasma, who's has this new kind of gimmick going on right now where he's, you know, he took off the mask and he's just this fucking cool, you know, hair slick back, cool Mexican guy. And he's like, no, I'm going to fucking make Lucha Libre cool again. And that's like an awesome gimmick to have. But I can only 
you know, it's like best case scenario, this takes off, this guy becomes the biggest star. But without a shadow of a doubt, as long as there's a McMahon in charge, like on that main roster, the minute he gets up, you know, he's going to get just thrown in with like Andrade and all the other like Mexican talent because they're just like, I don't know, make the Mexicans wrestle each other. You know, that'll make for compelling television. So it, I, I very yeah. much like, yeah, especially I feel like with, you know, with me being Mexican and, and you guys being Asian, it's like we've we've definitely gotten the short of a, of the stick when it comes to like uh, characters of these ethnicities being uh, represented, you know, and I won't say on like all American companies, but for the most part, most American companies. Well, and, and I think the only reason a lot of like uh, uh, wrestlers of other nationalities are having any sort of longer, le- you know, longevity than they would have maybe 10, 20 years ago, it's because there's a smarter fan now. So they're not so quick to turn the TV off and be bored by whatever boring caricature they decide to pull out. They know who the wrestlers are and they're willing to maybe stick around even through the worst of it. But, um, yeah, I just, I've, I've always looked at that. And, and since I've worked at, uh, pro wrestling tees, you know, I, I've become more film familiar with uh, the Japanese product and like seeing just the way, um, Japanese publications treat wrestlers. There's like, if all you saw consumed was WWE product and you saw like, uh, you saw Prince Albert as Lord Tensai, and, and that's that's your exposure to quote unquote Japanese wrestlers. Um, you would miss all the cool stuff that uh, that is out there, you know, with like chaos or you know, generally all the stuff like New Japan's doing. And, and I don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of Japanese wrestling, but just just seeing the way it's treated in Japan and by actual you know Japanese wrestling fans, you would never guess that. Um, you know, they weren't all stereotypical caricatures the, the way that they're presented on American TV. Or, or even something like watching like an old clip of Okada in uh, TNA. I'm like, this guy is like a completely different person than like the Rainmaker that we see. You know what I mean? And it's, I just don't think that um, Japanese wrestlers get a fair shake on American TV in general. They, they, they start with a handicap. You bring yeah. you bring up Okada. Uh, I always just whenever whenever I think of Okado, you know, in TNA, and then think of Okada, all I can think of is, uh, you know, the, the day of All In, and they have like the Flip Gordon fucking outside party, whatever, whatever the the you know the gimmick all was, outside. all outside yeah. party, and I, I go pick up, I go pick up oh, Okada yeah. and. We pull up to the venue and it's fucking raining outside. Like it's raining hard. And there is a massive line, this huge line of people just waiting in line to meet Okada. You know, and Okada's like, oh, it's, well, what's this line for? I'm like, you. And he's like, no. I'm like, no, no, no. Like they're here for you. And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, really? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, like this is a, this is the talent who, you know, clearly it's like, oh, look at the company he's from. This is the guy, you know, I could, I very much, I can very much appreciate, you know, American talent who goes out of their, or American audience who goes out of their way to like research these people and know who these people are because, you know, Okada is such 
in amazing talent that you know you bring him into like an all in and people can recognize like how fucking good he is as opposed to like if he showed up sitting front row at like an NXT takeover you'd have some people that know who he is but then like instead of having this awesome match with like Marty Scroll and pay-per-view you know he would be I don't know wrestling some fucking you know he'd be wrestling Kona Reeves on NXT TV and then you know it's just it's it's very I'm not as the golden emperor exactly something yep. you know something similar to that yeah um but but wh uh again thank you you know thank you for taking time out of your you know your busy schedule um, yeah we appreciate it yeah very much appreciate it you know you're someone who I've I've wanted to have on for a while now and due to this damn covid um you know, this is this is the best that we can do until uh, you know we get the chance to all sit down together again. But uh, where can people find you online? Okay, well, you can find me at Twitter at whpark9. That's the number nine. You can also find me at postwrestling.com. Uh, I do two shows there: Post Perez with John Pollock and uh, the Long and Winding Royal Road, which is my look back at uh, the 1990s era of All Japan. Which you know, the latest episode dropped with uh, with View Scrub. We talked about Jinzei Shinzaki and Hayabusa taking on Mitsuhara Masawa and <coughs> excuse me, Jun Akiyama. As well, and and as well, the the latest episode of Post Perez also dropped this past weekend. So go check those out over at postwrestling.com. Uh, and again, WH, thank you so much for being on here. We're, we're definitely have to bring you back on for a part two because oh, with, sure. with as with as much like nerdy shit as you and I talk about, like especially in our our, our Watchmen group over on Twitter, uh, you know, there's a lot of other nerdy comic book shit that we can that we could probably sit here for another hour and a half and talk about uh but that'll you know that'll be safe for a part two um but once again thank you again wh and we look forward to talking with you again uh thank you berto and thank you dave for having me on the pwd cast i it's i've been fulfilled as a podcaster wrestling podcaster i've i've made it i've been on the same show as both uh brayden harrington and uh and uh effie it's it's my it's my dream come true uh both my boyfriends ironically but no we're the ones who now i i'm pretty sure we've completed the post-wrestling gauntlet you know we've had you we've had uh davy we've had brayden john and way Gauntlet's complete. You just need a. Uh, you just need um, Andrew Thompson, Nate Milton, Andrew, and you need Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson, and and Mike Murray. Mike Murray, I know you're listening to this. We're we're bringing you on too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, WH. Thank you again to WH Park. Uh, I told you when we stopped recording with him. I was so happy that you asked him. Uh, that question because oh, it, led, fired up. <laughs> it led to a classic WH rant, which that's just, I love WH for many things. When he starts ranting on WWE, it's one of my favorites. Uh, but it was a work of art. We're, yeah, definitely work of art. And yeah, I mean, like the, the thing is, the funny thing with WH is like how little we ever actually talk about wrestling because it's mostly always like movies and comic book shit. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I keep threatening this. You know, eventually you're gonna have to look at our faces instead of just hear our voices, uh, because and when the studio, which again I've been spending a lot of time this weekend getting it up and looking nicer, I bought some more shelves to to display things on. Uh, I'm looking for a head mannequin so we can put your uh, 
Ninja oh. Turtles mask on it. Listen, I, I I don't know I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but uh, I'm in I'm in the hunt for another piece of uh, Ninja Turtles headgear. So I've been looking for head mannequins too, but my wife said no. She never says no, but she said no to this. But it's a it's a full movie shredder helmet. <laughs> She's like absolutely not, but uh, I think I'm gonna get it anyways. It's all right. So, what, what Annie doesn't know won't hurt her. Um, well, I'll let her know. <laughs> hey, we also purchased a bunch of artwork this weekend too for the yes for the studio, and it's. It's gonna, it's it's coming along. Like, I kind of joke with you about like I don't even think we have to buy anything to soundproof the studio because there's so yeah, much shit on the walls. Yeah. Uh, but for those of you who have been following us as far as uh, the studio, you'll know all about the couch saga. And for wow. those of you unaware, the couch saga <sighs> it begins shortly before uh, COVID, you know, shut everything down. Dave and I were in the process of getting a desk and a. And I wanted to get a couch for the studio when we do these live YouTube videos. And then the world shut down, so we weren't able to get it either. And then finally, I, f- I found this furniture place, and I was going to go over there and purchase some furniture. And then uh, they started rioting and destroyed the shop. So I wasn't able to get a couch from there, but I was able to get a couch from Menards. I know what you're thinking. Menards doesn't sell couches. No, they don't. Unless it's seasonal, and your boy over here went and went and made the the awesome decision of buying a couch from there, and then I had to Karen out on the fucking people because they didn't want to return it after they told me they would take it back, and it was a long story. But that couch didn't fit because uh, I didn't ever measure the couch, so of course it it was it was never going to fit, and that you know that fell on me. It's nobody else's fault but my own, but today uh bob's furniture opened back up so i went in there and i purchased a couch uh i may in fact be returning it and purchasing another one that i saw uh because it has one of those chaise lounge things so that like you can actually you know kind of like lean back and lay so i don't know i i i, I don't yeah, know you which... could pay me like one of your principles. exactly well that's the whole purpose of it if not if not for that then then yeah, what else only reason you know what is the what is the purpose of everything if I'm not sitting there painting you like a French girl? Uh, so that that's finally set up. I'll finally be able to uh, start watching Doom Patrol again, which is my segue into Dave. You uh, you mentioned to me that you finally started watching Doom Patrol. Like literally, well, like literally before we got on to do <laughs> this uh, our intro outro, I just finished the pilot episode. Um, and I don't know for some, for some reason, and I'm sure I'm not the only one shows that everyone likes. I'm very resistant to, and I'm like, it can't be good if everyone likes it. Right. It's gotta be lowest common denominator. I mean, I was that way with, uh, breaking bad and Dexter and a litany of other shows. I've yet, so, I've yet to watch the walking dead because of that very thing you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, it was good in the beginning and then it eventually became what I thought it probably would have been, but no, I, I don't know. I love DC comics, but to me, DC just has a problem making motion media, I guess. Like some of their animated stuff's a little cringy. Um, live action. A lot of, 
Well, live action is pretty cringy too at, at most moments. No, I'm, I'm saying you you were saying that like they you know they're not that good at making live motion. I was supposed to mean like live action as well. Yeah, pretty much anything that doesn't involve the printed page. <laughs> so, um, and then like, of course, everyone knows we have a deep and enduring love for Brendan Fraser. But like, I'm looking at this this robot guy, and I'm like, that looks so cheesy. That looks it looks like Fraggle Rock to me. I don't know. And anything that has like a mature theme in DC, to me, they're always like, fuck, shit, yeah, I'm fucking you. Yeah, look at my boner. And it's just like, that's not mature. That's just them throwing out curse words. And, you know, it's like a, a teenager trying to be mature. And that's the vibe I got off of this. And there, and I'll be honest, there's a little bit of that in the pilot episode, at least. I don't know how the rest goes. But, but you've been singing its praises. Uh, my younger brother was like, dude, you got to watch Doom Patrol because it's on HBO Max. And I was like, I don't know. And finally I was like, fuck it, I'll watch it. And I got to say, I mean, it's the pilot episode and I'm going in completely blind. I I don't know if the special effects get better because they were kind of shit, but it was the pilot. So I, I, I give them that. Like some of it looked real hokey. It definitely gets better. You know, it it, okay. it gets better from there, and it looks like Sharknado uh, technology. Like some of the explosions look like they pasted like a video over the screen, and but I'll say outside of that, um, they kind of do you know like a week week. Hey, we're breaking the fourth wall. Deadpool's type narration, which Alan Tudyk, who I love this guy anyway, he he knocks it out of the park with his voiceovers. Um, but also deeply, like, I don't want to spoil anything for those of you that haven't seen it, but as a father, there were some moments that, like, hit me right in the gut. I was like, oh, my God. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep watching it. It's It seems pretty good. I would definitely recommend so. keep watching it. Like, I think I think it's, like, Brendan, Brendan Fraser for, you know, he, you don't see him. You hear him. Yeah. But he still, he has a, a good enough job with like emoting what he's supposed to feel and it comes yeah. across as genuine i i would think you know and well also who, who's the, who's the invisible guy or not the invisible the guy with the rapping he's not anyone uh, famous well he so his actor is i think matt bomer who my wife just loves and goes gaga over like <laughs> uh I guess he was in the show called White Collar that my my wife loved, and then also I guess he was in Magic Mike. So, um, but he's he's a super handsome. He could be Superman himself. And like the sad thing is, he's wrapped up in like mummy tape the whole time. It's like you get all these beautiful people, and then you cover them up and stuff. But uh, yeah, there, there was him, and then there was like the actress lady who's turning into like a weird fish blob. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, I like and. Also, Timothy Dalton yep. uh, would make a great Professor X, which he's basically doing in this show. That's, but I was like, wow. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. I was like, Timothy Dalton knocks it out of the park. Um, yeah. He's really good. I, I Ironically, right before this, I had seen um, there was a show on Showtime with like vampires and shit. And he was in it. Um, yeah. It's it's escaping it's escaping me what it's called right now. It's got like it's got like a it's got like a number. No, Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. Oh, Penny Dreadful. Okay. And he was in that, so I literally went from seeing him in that to this, and I was just like, oh, okay. I'm like, I, I, I like, I always liked Timothy Dalton, 
but I was like, all right, I fuck with some Timothy Dalton even more now. Um, but yeah. yeah, he's he's super good in it. it. It gets better. I've not finished season one yet. I I think I have like three episodes left. Um, but it gets really good. And I know season two is debuting on HBO Max. So well, I gotta say, if it's if it's getting better than what I saw, then then I like because I listen. I'm a big stickler for like production value, and like I. I was like, okay, this is the pilot. It looks kind of shitty, but as a package, what they were delivering, I was like, all right, I was wrong. This is a pretty good show. So, um, yeah, I like it. it. And also, like, what they're showing all this DC stuff on HBO Max. I, I know they're 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 owned by like Warner Brothers, but like, what's going on with the DC channel or their subscription service? Are they not doing that anymore, or what? They don't know. There's a conflict of interest right now because like the a lot of those DC movies are being taken down. They were supposed to be taken down like I think like a week ago, but they're going to be staying yeah. up until December, I believe is what I read. Um yeah, it's Oh, it, they're taking them off of HBO Max. Yes, because again, there's different they're contracts and shit that they have to fulfill, so it's very yeah. weird. They they don't they don't really know themselves. Um, holy shit! Speaking of speaking of DC superhero movies, really quick, um, did you see uh, Ray Fisher's tweets this no. week about Joss Sweden? No. So, for those of you guys unaware, um, Ray Fisher he played um, what's his name, the fucking robot uh, cyborg. He played cyborg in yeah. Justice League, and right before. Um, Joss Sweden took over, he had a much bigger role in everything. Right. Um it, like you can even watch some of those like the the trailers for stuff and mm-hmm. Cyborg was supposed to play a you know, um what's his name? The direct Zack Snyder. He really believed in him. This was his first ever movie role. Like the first character this guy ever gets to play, he's cyborg. Can you imagine how gutted exactly. how you'd be by just ripping everything out of the movie that you feature in? Exactly. Uh, and so it was at Comic-Con, like, a year or two before the movie came out. <sighs> or no, it was whenever they replaced Joss Sweden with Zack Snyder. You know, and he came out into something along the lines of, like, yeah, you know, I believe in, you know, uh, Joss Sweden, yada, yada. Because to earlier in the week, he sends out a tweet that says, I rescind everything that I said about Joss Sweden, you know, like. Cool. And it's like, oh, Okay. And then follows it up with a tweet talking about how like unprofessional he was, um, how like terrible he was to the staff and crew, uh, to the VFX people. And I was listening to uh, Kevin Smith's Fat Man Beyond podcast, and apparently he heard from secondhand sources as well that like he was also not very complimentary of Zack Snyder or his work, and. Yeah, it's it's just weird, you know. It just it doesn't happen in Hollywood that people just straight up like fuck this guy. He's a piece of shit. It, but it, it's happening in the world now for everything. Yeah, and now is you know now is as good time as any, and it's one of those things where, like, will it burn a bridge? Maybe, possibly, but if it's also gonna like expose a piece of shit director, then by all means, you know, like I mean. Listen, the the proof is in the pudding. Like, like I said, I'm a I'm a huge Batman mark, but like something happened with that movie 
and it's the fingerprints of whatever happened is all over what was in the theaters and, and people hated it. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. well, yeah, um, and there was something that was unavoidable with the reshoots, obviously, but like there's some bad energy coming out of that movie. And there was talks too of, uh, there's a specific scene where, um, Gal Gadot, who was just coming off Wonder Woman, you know, one of the more successful superhero movies, period. Not even just like DC yeah. movies, just superhero movies, period. Yeah, well received. Yeah, there was a, a, a scene that was supposed to involve her, uh, or the Flash falling on top of her, and she was just like, absolutely not, I'm not going to do this. And once that came out, and, you know, they eventually they used a, a stunt person in her place. But when that came out, people brought up like Joss Sweden's. Uh, Wonder Woman script from a few years back, which apparently was like kind of misogynistic, if if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it was just. I remember he. I can't remember what movie he was talking about. He had some very pointed comments about the portrayal of women, and I don't remember. I don't remember what movie it was, but then Justice League came out, and everyone's like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, um, it's. I wish you remember what movie it was. Which is weird because he was the guy who did Buffy, you know, which was a female, like, driven character show. And there also, there also comes a point where, like, you get to a certain, we'll say, like, a rarefied air where you're just full of blind spots and you don't realize sometimes you're just talking out of your ass <laughs> and you're just as guilty of the things you're saying other people are, you know? Like, it it often comes out the people that yell the loudest are are normally the ones guilty of the thing they're yelling about, you know? Exactly. So. And listen, and as of right now, these are all allegations. You know, these are all things he allegedly yeah. did or said. Um, he hasn't, you know, said anything back. But I just I found that very interesting too, and kind of just speaking about like how DC doesn't know what they're doing because even like I believe he called out like Jeff Johns, who's uh, in charge of their film division. I believe I'm not. I'd, listen, I'd be lying if I if I told you I knew what was going on with DC. I they lost my faith with uh, Dark with uh, Suicide Squad and then Justice League. And I just Which, did you hear that the, there might be another director's cut coming out of Suicide Squad? Yeah, listen, give us the air cut. That guy got fucked give out of his air. movie too. Yeah, and, so. Very, what a time to be alive. <laughs> exactly. What a time to be alive. Um, but uh, another another thing I tried to watch this weekend was, uh, I, I, I told you, I mean, I've talked about it on here as well. I fucking hate musicals. I, I hate them. Like, I love music and I love movies. I don't like the two together. You know, it's kind of like when people put barbecue sauce on pizza. Not a fan. Not a fan of like, barbecue chicken pizza like no 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 you know keep church and state separate um (laughs) but i try to watch hamilton because i like lynn manuel miranda Uh, i've always heard positive things about hamilton probably made it about 20 maybe 30 minutes in and i was just like this fucking sucks or i mean it doesn't it's not for me it's not for me i i kept i was like all right I would much like it was the content was interesting. I learned in those 20, 30 minutes more about Alexander Hamilton than I ever knew before. Yeah. But it, I was like, well, I'd, I'd much rather just watch like an HBO documentary, you know, one of those like yeah. t- dramatization series that they have. 
or just like a straight up documentary on the man. Um, I don't, yeah. And I know you mentioned to me, like it's a big thing in your household. Well, like my daughter's super into it. Like we, we were trying to, I was actually trying to get tickets to the show and they were like $600 a piece. I was like, Oh, I love my daughter, but not that much, (laughs) you know, but like she, she's got every, like every square inch of that whole thing memorized. Like, and like there, there were times where I, I would listen to her in her room and she's rapping. I was like, oh, what are you, what are you rapping about? And she's like, oh, the Democratic Republic of America. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and it's just like Hamilton songs, which you know got her super interested in it. So like when I heard it was coming to Disney Plus, I was like, oh wow, you know, I'll, I'll share this with my daughter and we'll you know we'll have a great time. Oh, I hated it myself too. And, and I love musicals. I love uh, Phantom of the Opera. I love Les Miserables. Uh, I love Cats, not the movie, but like the <laughs> the show. Um, you know, there's plenty of musicals like that I like, which is not a thing that a lot of people know about me. But there's something to me. There's something really, and if you're into this, I'm not judging you. But to me, there's something real cringy about like. <laughs> rapping about Alexander Hamilton. I don't know. Hearing my daughter do it was endearing to me, but like seeing it on screen, I was like, I was oddly put off by it. I don't know why. No, I, I get what you mean. Like, again, like, <laughs> the content it just, just wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just the whole time I'm like, this sounds interesting. And I am genuinely interested in this story. I understand. Yeah. And, and listen, from a production standpoint, it looked awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and it's catchy. I can get why. Like, I, like, I remember uh friend of the show, Cash, you know, he was super into it. He is super into it. And I'm like, okay, I can see how it would appeal to, like, kids and shit. But <sighs> I don't, I don't know. I just can't get into it. It's just not my thing. Like, musicals as a whole i just i don't like i remember i took an ex-girlfriend to see aladdin for her birthday and oh god i wanted to fucking grab that lamp and just smash my head over it like it just it killed me what's up the cartoon aladdin yeah it it was you know based on you don't like Oh, well, no. Yeah. I mean, we had to go watch the. Uh, it was like a play for it. I like Aladdin. Oh. No, no, no. I, I like the cartoon of Aladdin. I'm sorry. I oh. like. I took her to like the Chicago, whatever Chicago's version oh, yeah. of Broadway is. And we went to go see, and it was just it was a whole musical. It was basically just a whole musical, and I was just like, God, oh my God, please make this stop. Like, you know. But I mean, yeah. That, that's that's our hot take on Hamilton. Um, <laughs> But uh, before we uh, before we get out of here, though, we wanted to bring back a a segment, fan of the week. Um, I know we teased before, like it's back and it's gonna be here every week, and then we got super swamped. I'm not I'm not listen. I'm not finding an excuse. It's just it is what it is. Uh, keeping keeping it with the theme of post wrestling, I thought there's nobody when you think of WH Park. The only the other person that comes to mind immediately to me is uh is this person. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, this week's fan of the week. Discrump and stank, I'm riding today to be the fan of the week. 
your services suck, my order is fucked. Place this morning I'm free. I hope it keeps you awake. You ain't ever getting Omaha steaks. Sign your fan of the week. Have a nice day. This is Brandon from New Jersey bringing you this week's fan of the week. Today's fan is John from Parts Unknown. Not from anywhere he damn well pleases, the outer reaches of your mind, the state of euphoria, the land of ying or yang, or the other side of the tracks. He's not even from the Bowery. No, John is from Parts Unknown. Congratulations. And you are the fan of the week. <laughs> John says, Ban Jake hired her girlfriend from AEW yesterday night. She was not allowed to get involved there as yesterday last night. She slapped Cody Rhodes on the face. If Brandy Rhodes saw yesterday, she is not going to spare Jake Hyder's girlfriend and make one fire Jake Hyder from the company because in UFC, he is being winning cage fight by cheating because of carrying this woman over there. <laughs> What did you send me? Anyway, John is the fan of the week. Congratulations. I'm out of here. Peace. Have a nice day. Thank you to Brandon from New Jersey for that wonderful uh, fan of the week. Uh, we we're gonna we're gonna do our darndest to start bringing back more fans of the week. All right. Yeah. We promise. Uh, and we're actually working on getting another uh, segment thing we used to do back in the early I'll days. What's yeah. up? It's a beloved feature that we used to do. Yes, a wonderful thing that we used to do for all the wonderful people that listen. So uh, keep an eye out on next week's episode. Um, but Dave, before we get out of here, there was uh, something you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. I don't know why this is the week for it, but like I've been consuming a lot of uh, a lot of shows, and I saw something on Netflix called uh, Warrior Nun, which so I watched the whole season. And it's good and it's bad at the same time. I mean, if you imagine what a show called Warrior Nun could be, you pretty much got a good idea. There's kung fu in it. There's nuns with shotguns. Um, and I'll, I'll just give you a, a brief kind of spoilery thing, but you find out since all this stuff like in the first five minutes. But like there's this girl that died. She was like a quadriplegic. And they have her in like some uh, some Catholic church in the basement, and they're doing like something to her. Like they're 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 writing. Oh, she she was in a Catholic orphanage, and they had to like write down why she died, what her you know what she died of, and you know they're just keeping records. And then um, as they're doing that, these fucking nuns come bursting in the door, carrying another nun who's clearly dying, and. Uh, she's like their leader. She's the, they're all warrior nuns, but she's like the warrior nun. Mm -hmm. And what happens is they have a halo in their back. It's like a golden fiery ring. That's like on their spine. So she's dying. So the, the halo has to go to the next in line. So they pull it out and it's like, it's burning hot, like lava. And so just as they pull it out, this gigantic demon appears with like his own, like possessed army of spec ops guys. So this one nun is running and she's trying to, they're, they're after the halo and she's like, uh, uh, where do I put it? And she puts it in the back of this dead quadriplegic girl who gets resurrected and now has full use of her limbs and now has all these powers 
you know, imbued upon her from this halo. And then, um, so like this whole story is like demons are trying to get the halo. The warrior nuns are trying to get the halo back. And this girl who lived her whole, um, almost to full adulthood as a quadriplegic now has full use of her limbs plus extra powers. And she's like, I don't want to be any part of this. I just want to be, I just want to live my life the way I couldn't. And so it's pretty good. It's got some pretty good Kung Fu in it. And, uh, it's a little cheesy. Anything named warrior nuns, not going to be fucking deep Shakespeare. So, but, yeah. uh, when you said that, I, I didn't exactly picture, uh, you know, <laughs> anytime, anytime I said it, to, uh, Oh dude, you should watch warrior. Nun. they're like warrior nun. <laughs> I didn't so. expect I didn't expect to be like a Steven Spielberg's warrior on you know but uh, uh, I mean I mean it's kind of like it's kind of like Hellboy almost like these this group of nuns they just go around like fighting demons and shit and they're like a secret you know they're like a secret Catholic hit squad for demons pretty rad I mean, listen you sold me on it I'll at least check out episode one <laughs> try uh, but. Uh, Thank you, everyone, who stuck around to, to listen to this. Uh, we appreciate every single one of you guys. If you already aren't, make sure you're following us on social media. We're at PWTCast on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, on those, you can find our our personal Instagrams and Twitters and all that fun stuff. But, um, Dave, I feel like it's that, that time of the week now where everyone has things to say. Yeah, my, my, ba- my, my, bane. my brain has been baked by the sun and... I like the words to continue, so. All right, guys. Well, uh, until next week, I've been Scrump. And this is Stank. And this is friend of the show, Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega here, friend of the show. Unfortunately, we've run out of things to say, and so, well, we must bid you adieu. So, until next time at the PWT's cast, goodbye and good night. Bang. Bang.